Welcome to Record Store Society, a production of iHeartRadio. No, yeah, I was just thinking there's also, who's the, the, the creator of Beavis and Butthead? I think he made these like little music documentary short animated things. Well, Mike Judge um, is who you're talking about, but I have no idea what Judge? this is. This sounds really cool. It is really cool. And they do like a whole, they do like a funk series and a country series, like the Outlaws specifically. It's very cool. When I get home tonight, I'm Googling this. Um, (laughs) Oh, hey, hi. Uh, Welcome to our record store. I'm Seth, and this is Tara. Uh, Feel free to look around and uh, just give us a shout if you need anything. Uh, I I saw a thing the other day, which I really wanted, which was, uh, I don't know, for like 50 bucks, something like that. (laughs) You can get the uh, complete Ken Burns jazz series and the complete Ken Burns country music. That's like... 30 hours. I don't know how much it is, but it's a lot. And I, I, I'm looking forward to that because both of those fields are genres of music I really enjoy, but I feel like I could always know a lot more because they are so dense and so deep. It's like, mm-hmm. I always feel like I don't know enough about classical, no matter how much I read, no matter how much I listen to. I'm always just a little, little bit behind and those documentaries kind of feel like they fill in some gaps for you. you know? oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, hey, look, it's Matt Sage. Hello. Hey, how you hey, doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. Uh, awesome. You know, I, I have to give you a compliment. I, ho- I hope you aren't too uh, uptight about receiving compliments. <laughs> but, but man, The Wind of Things like yeah. kicks my ass. That is such an amazing <laughs> album. I love it. Hey, thank you. It was really fun to make. Thanks for listening to it. Yeah, uh, it's really Farbod, beautiful. Didn't Farbod do such a good job on the design too? Oh my gosh. I love yeah. Farbod's aesthetics. Like yeah, he's yeah. so good. Because um, if people don't know, uh, you, you're on, you release albums through his record label, Geographic North. Yeah, Geo North. Yeah. Yes. And man, oh man, he as a graphic designer, the, the whole label just has such a wonderful vibe. You want to just pick it up even if you don't know who the artist is you're just like oh i just got to complete my like aesthetic collection of yeah. North. it all looks good together yeah he's yeah. really good at that he's, yeah. he has such a great eye for design he's so great and yeah i i do that i want to have every single every single release from that label but they sell out so quickly sometimes especially those special cassettes that they do yeah yeah yeah, but yeah, yeah you, you gotta can... set an alarm, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, I feel like um, with most Geographic North releases, they sell out before their the actual physical release date even comes. Yeah, it's like crazy. If, if I'm remembering correctly, the Wind of Things, I think the physical release comes out sometime in June. It the does. Digital is out now, but I think the last time I checked on Bandcamp, there was only like 30 copies left, and it's yeah, it like went really fast. Yeah, but but it's also it's beautiful. Great. It's like that white, and it's got like a blue. Sp- Bladder and like a little green in the middle, like uh, yeah, that one. I think oh yeah, the LP looks like crazy. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, I can't wait to hold one. The test pressing sound like mm. so good. Ah. Yeah, it's good nice. stuff. I'm, I'm excited yeah. about that. Um, I, I'm going to give you another compliment. I, I hope I, I don't make you too too. Um, I don't know. Uh, what's the word for that? Um, not shy, not nervous, uh, embarrassed. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know your embarrassment level. But I'll say yeah. this. One of my favorite things about you as a musician is that um, you're very prolific. You put out tons of stuff. And I think that's one of my favorite things in most musicians in general. But better than that, you're very prolific and you're super varied. And that's rare as hell. You know? Like, oh, thank you. 
like every release you put out has your same excellent standard of quality, but from like release to release, like if you go back one more release, I guess that would have been Catch a Blessing. Yeah. And, and that one's like full electronic, very like, um, almost like, what would you call it? Like improvised, upbeat, ambient almost, you know? Sure, that's like, yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, then, and then the latest one, which would be uh, The Wind of Things, um, you, you, you're working with an ensemble and it's so analog, but it also has like the feel recording vibes to it and yeah. it, it gives you all the comfort of an ambient album but it also kind of feels like a bell orchestra or like a um like a, a like a post-rock kind of like ensemble piece and yeah that's awesome t- I, I don't know I'm, I'm giving you too many compliments <laughs> i apologize but i'm just saying your music's really great and i really appreciate you and we're glad you're here in the store <laughs> hey thanks yeah. thanks for having me yeah this is a really cool record shop yeah it looks really cool thank you very much we, we, yeah. we do our best to be a, a welcoming and warm place for everyone to stop by and uh, and chit chat uh, uh speaking of chit chatting we were just talking about music documentaries before you came in and uh we play a little game around here where we uh count down our top five favorite of whatever just like they did in that movie and the book high fidelity uh would you like yeah. to join us for counting down our top five five favorite music documentaries. Absolutely. That's uh, one of my favorite ways to consume music, honestly, is to watch music documentaries. So I'm very excited about this. I'm excited. And I'm also, I'm very curious how much actual overlap we'll have on like, hey, my pick was on your list and your your pick was on my list. And also just like having seen these things. Because like, to me, there are certain music documentaries that are just like ubiquitous. Like, hey, we've all seen this one. We all know this one. And yeah. then there's a bunch that are just kind of like one-off things that maybe you found on Amazon Prime one night and you're like, I love this one. Everyone yeah. should see this, but maybe no one has. So I'm yeah. curious. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And it's, uh, the documentary is such like a weird, diverse field and it can go in so many different directions. So yeah, I'm excited to see uh, what else is on everyone's list. Also, that means I have a bunch of stuff to watch. So that's exciting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's so many to watch. So many. Yeah, I, asked, I asked my friends on Facebook recently what their favorite documentaries are and every and I said pick one <laughs> everyone picked one and everyone had a different answer and it's oh, just like yeah. how wow. what there's yeah. gonna be a lot but but I, yeah. I I have my list ready so if y'all are ready yeah. I will start yeah. counting these kick down. us off go right. for it my number five uh, see to me this one is going to be one that <laughs> neither of you have heard of but we'll find out this is uh, kind of like I said, this is one where I was randomly like perusing like, hey, what's free on Amazon Prime right now? Just watching whatever. <laughs> and I loved this one. Uh, my number five, it's called Los Punks. We are all we have. Came out in 2016 and it was directed by Angela Boatwright. Uh, have either of you seen this documentary? Never heard of it. No, I nope. figured. I, I, I don't. I don't get the sensation that other people are talking about this one much. But uh, I really think everyone should look it up. It's less about a specific band and more about a scene that is happening in the world, which is a, a lot of fun to me. Where um, you're, you're just kind of getting a taste of someone else's entire life, and you can kind of see how it kind of mirrors what you're doing or how it differs from what you're doing or what you did in your youth and all that stuff. More or less, like in, in a nutshell, the movie is, um, it takes place in, uh, let's see here, South Central and East Los Angeles. 
And it's a bunch of kids, predominantly Latino, who basically they didn't have venues and they didn't have like a scene of their own. So they just started making their own shows in each other's backyards and they created their own punk scene out of nothing. And especially in Los Angeles, there aren't a lot of like basements. You can't throw a basement show. What is there? Backyards. So it's backyard punk shows and all of the kind of like problems that come with that. Obviously, noise complaints are a big thing. Obviously, people like hopping fences is a big thing. Like, there's all these like just like little bits and pieces that turn it into like the the specificities and the headaches of this one very specific scene in this one very specific place with all these very specific kids and young adults. When did you say this was? Uh, this did you say it? 2016. Oh, okay. So, so That's when it came out. So it's like recent, like yeah. the actual like shows. Okay, these are gotcha. these these are more or less kids right now doing their thing, running around. Gotcha. And Interesting. um I love it. I really love this documentary. I think part of it is like um when I watch it, I see myself in these kids, obviously, because I'm sure as we all did when we were young, you know, n- no venue is going to let your shitty high school band play. So you need yeah. to make <laughs> your own. And and so yeah. it is. It's a lot of basement shows that I grew up yeah. with, a lot of house parties, um, a lot of like playing gigs in like coffee shops that aren't really venues, but maybe they'll let you. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe you, play, yeah. you then you play a little yep. too loud, and then perhaps they don't invite you back, like all that kind of stuff. It's like you yeah. grew up with me in the same town in the same scene. And, yeah. And, yeah. and I think those things are universal and it's fun to kind of like see that the kids are still doing it now. And it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I for, feel your kids, you know? <laughs> for me yeah. in the South, it was less like those weird coffee shops. There weren't really coffee shops, more so like churches. Oh, interesting. There's a wow. lot of churches, even though, yeah, I like never went to churches. I was a heathen straight up, but like <laughs> everyone goes to church in the South pretty much. Um, and yeah, and so everyone's little high school bands and whatnot were allowed to play in their church, like the stage thing. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I love it. I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's definitely where I learned how to play music too. And then uh, it was like, there was like a Christian coffee shop and they had us throwing shows. Oh, yeah. But then uh, once our bands got too edgy, we had to move to like basements. <laughs> right. and, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I love the idea of like a backyard scene. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I recommend this documentary. It's total just like slice of life. Here, here's what some Latino punks in uh, South Central and East Los Angeles are doing right now. And this is how they're making their own scene. And uh, yeah, I think it's just heartwarming and fun and everyone should enjoy it. Um, I'm going to bring me up to my number four. I'm going to suspect that at least one of you have seen this one. Because in my head, this one's a legendary documentary, but I might be wrong. Let's prove my brain wrong. <laughs> number four, meeting people is easy. This came out in 1998 and it was directed by Grant Gee. Have either of you seen this one? This is the Radiohead documentary. Uh, I think I've seen this one. This one was a big deal back in like 1998, 1999. It's like really dark, right? Yes. And like super <laughs> moody. And it's like about how the band is all like basically losing their minds recording either like OK Computer or Kid A. Right? It was OK Computer. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. And um, it's more or less the movie is about the recording promotion and tour for OK Computer. And in a bigger sense, it's about a band changing 
from a, hey, that's, an, that's a popular band on alternative radio that kids seem to enjoy, to, oh, shit, every critic loves you. You're fucking Radiohead now. Yeah, you know? you're Radiohead, yeah. Like, like, making that transition is all documented in this documentary. And um, the entire band is completely miserable the entire yeah. time. <laughs> the whole movie, they're so bummed <laughs> <Yes>. out. <laughs> they're all exhausted. Yeah. They're all so sad. And I, I really feel like it created that stereotype about Radiohead that yeah. they are miserable. They are depressed. They hate you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. I also, I feel like there's a lot of like sweaters with the sleeves that are too big and they go over everyone's hands in that movie. (laughs) I don't know why that's a part of my memory of that movie, but just like Johnny Greenwood's (laughs) hands are never on screen because they're always in his sweater. (laughs) I think that's a good explanation of not just the mood, but the literal fashion of the time. Yeah, Yeah, like the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but, But it's really great. And it actually kind of did create some new aesthetics in a way. So um, the director, Grant Gee, his whole thing that he wanted to try, which um, at the time was pretty revolutionary because he was trying to make it into like more or less like an art film, not just like a standard documentary. So he did things where like, for example, if he was going to interview the bands, he would set up like a camera and a microphone in a room where they're by themselves so they can talk freely and say whatever they want. Instead of just kind of like wandering around the like green room or, you know, backstage, he would set up very specific cameras, almost like um, security footage where to actually film things and, and, and factor it in and edited in to make it seem more realistic. And the funny thing is, is like years later when he was being interviewed, he's like, oh, so so, so what did you kind of learn from that process? He's like, oh, well, I basically invented reality television. Like, <laughs> like the, like the yeah. confessional, the like the hidden cameras and all that. He's like, that documentary is basically Radiohead Big Brother. Like that's yeah. what that documentary is. And hmm. I think that's it's cool. great. Yeah. I wonder if he took inspiration from the real world. Um, yeah, great, which, great point. Because that would have been what, like ninety two or something, ninety three, when the first real the same world. Time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. Also, like those albums are absolutely about like the surveillance state and like yeah. increase the technology oh, and stuff. So true. that's a really good like mirror where he was like, "Oh, this isn't uh, about this." So then, uh, let's do that to the band and then have that be the documentary. And they have owned that since then. Like totally. the Radiohead is always on security cameras for some reason. Huh. <laughs> like, like yeah, like the weird basement shows and yeah. that like chieftain muse character that they have that like reports the news and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Interesting stuff. It, Good call out. I, I think one of the best parts about that documentary to me, uh, do y'all remember the video for uh, No Surprises where Tom York, he's like in like almost like a diver's helmet with like lights flashing and it slowly fills like with water. Up. Yeah. In the documentary, they show him filming that and he is having the worst day of his life. Ooh, I yeah. mean, just picture it. Your, your head's in a bubble filling with water slowly as you're trying to film a music video. He's obviously, like you can you can tell just by watching him, having a complete like mental breakdown. Like it's just yeah. terrible for him. His panic attacks are having panic attacks. And <laughs> I would be too. I'd be the I'd be doing the exact same thing, you know? It's also very weird how we have this like pretense that it uh I love documentary because it's this idea of like a version of the truth, but I always think about how much of it is also like a version of entertainment for us as viewers and how like 
Tom York was making a music video, but also Tom York was aware that they were making a video of him making a music video. Right. Like, how many layers of character was he in? Uh, do you think like after everything cut, he was like, well, we got it all. Like that was fun. They're going to see how much I suffered for rock and roll. I don't know. I always think about that stuff with documentaries. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. And and also I bet now, like like the band has admitted that they were absolutely miserable. This This documentary is documenting their most depressed, most miserable state in their careers. They look back and go, oh, it got so much better after that. Should we make another <laughs> documentary so people know we aren't just sad grumps, you know? Yes, absolutely. Huh. <laughs> I wish they I wish they would. I want to see like uh Radiohead at this time in their career, just like what it looks like for them to make an album. I yeah. Bet mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet it's very comfortable. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I, like no expectations. They all have all the money they'll ever need. You know, yeah. they, all, they they the only thing that Radiohead could do right now to surprise me is put out like a legitimately bad album. Like that's yeah. the only thing that would surprise me. And because I don't think they would let themselves do that at this point. So Huh. I, I, yeah. I also wonder often <laughs> if they've broken up because uh, I always think that now. They they, they put some, yeah. such long windows between each album. So I don't know. I think they're one of those bands that they'll never like break up because there's too much. It's such it's a it's such a legacy brand. I don't think right. Radiohead will ever break up, but I think they'll just like take really long breaks. That's what I hope at least. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope you're right. Yeah, because because like they all do solo stuff, like scoring films mm-hmm. and t- touring with other groups and things. So yeah, no, I bet you're right. I bet you're and right. And like Ed finally did his first full on solo album like a few years ago. It was really good. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think everyone's done something solo now except Colin. Wait, no. Well, no, no. I always Colin is the he's the most mysterious member of Radiohead. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> What's up with that guy? How can you write the bass parts that you write and then just like also not do? I, I don't know. He's so fundamental to the band, but he's also like basically invisible. Oh yeah. Very mystified by Colin. Because yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say Colin's never done any solo stuff, but I have to correct myself. Colin has uh, shown up on his brother Johnny's solo yeah. scores. Uh, especially, I remember him on Body Song, which was really, really cool. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I can I can talk about Radiohead all day, so I'll, I'll limit myself. I know, I'm having, we're having a Radiohead Renaissance in my house. I right know, now. and I'm and just I'm like, just, oh, I, like you're just listening to all the we're records. We're listening to a ton of Radiohead right now, and it's a thing like. Uh, We've been really into dollar bin CDs. So I've been like scooping up every dollar bin Radiohead CD and just like have been listening to those a bunch in the car driving around. And it has been so great. Oh, yeah. Nice. Such a good band. Yeah. They, they are I... my favorite band. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like a Radiohead naysayer. I don't know why. And it's not that I don't <laughs> like them. I like them, but everyone likes them. And so I, I'm one of those that's just like, oh, I'll, you know, I just listen to everyone else talk about Radiohead. Although when you're talking about the solo stuff, I love Johnny Greenwood. Like everything he does, I know about. But I'm like, which one's Colin? Which one's the other guy? Like, I don't know. But I love Johnny Greenwood for sure. I saw him at Big Ears Fest play a Steve Reich piece and it was just like mind blowing. It was so cool. Yeah. So that sounds great. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Radiohead. (laughs) (laughs) All right. My my number three. Uh, This is one I've actually talked about in the record store many times before, so no one will be surprised. But uh, now I'm finally going to go into great detail and really spill my guts (laughs) on how much I love it. Number three, Kill Your Idols. Who's right and who's Uh, This is from 2006, and it's directed by S.A. Crary. 
Uh, have either of you seen this one, Tara? I know we've talked about it. You haven't seen it yet, right? I actually, uh, no, I haven't seen it, but I thought you were going to say another one. Uh, oh, so no. I, I think I know which one you think <laughs> you think I might think that I might be thinking. But yeah. uh, Matt, Matt, how about you? Have you ever seen this one before? I'm trying to remember. Can you start just explaining it and then I'll tell you if I, I feel like I have, but go for it. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty generic yeah. title. I feel like every yeah. like, you know, indie band in the world has a song called Kill Your Idols. Kill Your Idols, yeah. <laughs> um, so basically this one is all about the no wave New York scene of the 1970s. This is, it's such a good documentary. Yes. Yeah, I, I know which one you're talking about. It's yep. so good. So it starts off there in the 1970s with like suicide and Teenage Jesus and the Jerks and Lydia Lunch and DNA and theoretical girls and all that. And basically really like talking about the whole idea of having no influences, of creating something brand new and that's what we're putting into the world. And then the documentary talks about all the groups that were influenced by this movement. So then it goes into like the post-punk scene. So we get a little bit of like uh, Swans, some Sonic Youth, etc. And then it takes a big leap forward. And then I think it goes to, I think, 2002, where it's that post-punk and no-wave New York revival of like, yeah, yeah, yeahs and liars and black dice. And it kind of like explores the irony of like being influenced by someone who their goal <laughs> was to have no influences, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes, I've definitely seen this and it's fantastic. <laughs> it really is. Um, uh, it's just beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there's like the industrial band. I can't remember what that industrial band is called. ARE Weapons? Uh, maybe that's the one. Yeah. ARE Weapons. Black where Dice? they like sample, they sample like the factory and then they like play oh, the factory. That's yes. like such a, that's so New York post-punk, but I'm <laughs> a huge, huge Black Dice fan. <laughs> yeah. And that's how I ended up watching that was like, uh, Black Dice in a documentary signed me up and then, uh, it was like a crash course on learning about all of this post-punk that I sort of knew tangentially, but mm-hmm. didn't really know. And then I would like, I just like watched the Black Dice footage oh. and drooled. We're, we're, we're on the same page there. I, I adore <laughs> yeah. Black Dice. And yeah. um, that's another group that I will give them the same compliment I just gave you, which is super prolific and super varied. Like yeah. for a noise group to be varied is quite an accomplishment, you know? It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Beaches and Canyons, that's a whole other story, but I could do a top five black dice and Beaches and Canyons would be at the top, just for the record. <laughs> no, I follow you. Broken Ear record yeah. would be up there for me too. That one's that also really too. great. Yeah. Oh man, we could, yeah, we could go. Plus I really love their split they did with Wolf Eyes. I'm also a big that Wolf Eyes fan. Yeah. Uh, I also, I like the really, like the gurgly stuff, like Creature Comforts. Those are the Creature Comforts and Beaches and Canyons. Those are the ones that I, I get down with the most because they're so gurgly. Like, oh yeah. We don't get, we don't get gurgly noise music like that as much anymore. And I, I really like it. Yeah. I, I also really like Eric Copeland's solo stuff. Yeah. And uh-huh. so I wonder, hmm, because like it, that, that's a funny thing about like solo bands and solo whatever endeavors in general, where you can be like, okay, this is what you sound like solo. And this is what you sound like in Black Dice. I would be very curious to hear other members of Black Dice's solo outputs. Because Eric Copeland, to me, sounds like the noisier side of Black Dice. So what do the other artists sound like if you strip them away, you know? Yeah. He's been also putting out these really weird, like, left-field pop records, uh, Eric Copeland. I don't know. In, like, the last five or six years, he's put out these records that are just, like— Man, I wish I could remember. I think one of them is called Gumballs or something. Goofballs, maybe. <laughs> I haven't heard. Uh, I haven't heard either yeah. a Gumballs nor a Goofballs. Goofballs, so yeah. I'll there's a bunch up. of. There's a bunch of them, and they. He's like really prolific in putting out these really weird, like left field. Uh, 
like fuzzy, weird pop records. Mm. Uh, really big fan. Definitely check them out for Black Dice fans. I, I will check that out. Another big yeah. spinoff, uh, in case anyone in the store is on the hunt for some really great Black Dice spinoff bands. Uh, I love Terrestrial Tones. Do you ever listen yeah, to that them? One's, that one's really good too. Yeah, with yeah. Baby Terror. Yeah. Those, those are good records. Uh, but, but anyway. I've never heard of Black Dice. I have to listen. Oh, you Listening to you luck. guys go on and on, I'm just like, okay, I guess I gotta <laughs> listen to that one. I think we they have a very rabid fan base too for huh. sure uh, well, once but, you're in you're in you know yeah yeah i mean uh, i've heard of wolf eyes is that a re- so that's like a they're related more band? electronic than wolf eyes i would say gotcha. less less caustic more yeah there's like maybe like it's uh, it's weird to say that black dice is more melodic than wolf eyes but like they <laughs> yeah. are they, yeah they like flirt with melody more i also think black dice is funnier than wolf eyes like yeah. their sound has a sense of humor which is really cool I would agree with that for sure. Um, here, here, Matt, let's each recommend one record. Well, I, I think we actually kind of already did. You did, yeah. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> yeah. so you would say Beaches and Canyons. I think I would say Broken Ear record. Um, yeah. It's yeah. a tie for me though, Creature Comforts and Beaches and Canyons. I got them at this on the same weekend at a CD store. Oh, and nice. So it's like, it's like one thing for me. Yeah. And those two together are like uh, very formative for everything that I've done. Oh, as yeah. A, as a weirdo musician. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff. Yeah. Excited, excited to listen. And, and, and Terry, you got to see this documentary. I've said it to you 20 million times. Yeah. And I, I've, I've told you I'll lend you my DVD, but I know you don't have a DVD <laughs> player, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I also don't have a DVD player, but uh, I recommend watching it. It's great. <laughs> It's 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 a it's a very common thing these days. I, I my yeah. my wife tries to make me get rid of my DVD collection all the time, and I just I can't do it. There's too many things that aren't streaming that I yeah. can't get rid of them. You know, like yeah. um, anyway, <laughs> this yeah. is a whole different discussion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, my number two. Here we go. I, I I hope you guys have seen this one. I'm not sure if you guys have though, but this one I think is very very popular. Number two. The Decline of Western Civilization, Part 2. This one's from uh, 1988, directed by Penelope Spheris. And such a classic, right? Like, I think everyone shares this with all of their music-loving friends, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just remember watching this on, like, IFC when I was in high school, like, super late at night. Uh, like, I don't know, uh, satellite TV blew my mind. Oh yeah. And then, uh, yeah, absolutely. I also like all three of them. I think all three are good. Um, if anyone in the store hasn't seen them, the first one is basically focusing on, um, like local punk on like the way to create mainstream boom, but never really goes that big. So it's, it's people like the circle jerks and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. And I think the germs are in that too. I'd have to rewatch it anyway. Yeah. It's definitely that scene in LA. Yeah. yeah. And um, so that's, that's the first one. The second one, they focus on hair metal and like heavy metal in Los Angeles during like that weird, like sunset strip era, you know? And then the third one is like gutter punks. And that's like a whole different scene. Um, <laughs> But uh, the second one I love so much because it just, it, it, it's like looking at like Rome before it falls, you know? <laughs> totally. It's so decadent. And like, 
I think it's uh, the other one's like uh, more a documentary, and this one feels like social commentary. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's very much pointing her lens at something and being like, "Would you look at this? <laughs> it's, it's wild." Because yeah. everything is has just the hubris and like the excess and the. Um, I, I don't want to say that I enjoy it in like a Schadenfreude kind of way, but I think I do. I, I think I do <laughs> like seeing these people putting all of their chips right there on hair metal and saying, I'm in this for life. I'm going to be a hair metal all-star. Go. And it's like, yeah, you sure? You don't want to see what else is around the corner? Cause <laughs> yeah. And there is, there is like a hate watch element to it, but then also, <laughs> also their like devotion to this absolutely absurd genre that like hasn't aged well, really, no. you know, like yeah. to watch it. I haven't watched it contemporarily, but in just thinking about it now, I bet it's outrageous to watch that. It know? is for sure. And <laughs> it, it, you're, you're right. I, I would have loved to have seen this because when this came out like 1988, yeah, yeah. If this came out in 1988, this would have been like still in the thick of it, perhaps slightly on the decline, but not really. This still would have been like in the, that scene would have been concurrent with this movie being released. And then, yeah, I, I, I've watched it somewhat recently and just being like, oh, these goofs, you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wish that there would be a fourth one made about emo in the same way, like oh. uh, like emo <laughs> hardcore. Because there's so many like weird parallels between hair metal and like peak emo. And I, it would have been great to uh, have seen that happen. I would have watched that for sure. In particular, <laughs> like you made me think about like um, the hair choices, lots of like yeah. specific hair choices and also specific like voice choices, clearly different voices. But like when you were in hair metal, everyone was like, oh, well, we have to adopt the hair metal voice. Let's do it. Yep. And then in emo, they did the same thing. Like, all right, let's adopt the emo voice. And now we are in an emo band. And it's, huh, you got me thinking, Matt. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Greg Corner would have words about that one. If that oh, were a thing. Right. Because, yeah, <laughs> Greg was in Kill Hannah. And, um, yeah. Oh. And, and, yeah. And he was just like hella into heavy metal for a long time. Before yeah. That. No, no. Yeah. Uh, Greg is uh, another guy that comes and shops at this record store often. We'll have to talk to him again cool. about the parallels between metal and emo. Because yeah, he yeah. grew up on metal and was in, I, I guess I would call Kill Hannah an emo band. I'm, like I'm not, emo yeah. or screamo, maybe? Yeah. 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 I mean, they, they definitely had parallels with emo, if not specifically emo. Yeah, I remember going to a Blood Brothers concert when I was in like junior high, and the I suddenly was like, "Wait, this is they sort of remind me of like uh, how they like swaggered on stage, everything, and like the really tight pants and the hair." I was like, "This is sort of like hair metal," but then it was like you know post punk emo screamo whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I remember like realizing like I'm having that moment in my life where I'm into hair metal, <laughs> but it's the Blood Brothers instead of you know. <laughs> <laughs> Twisted Sister or whatever. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's really yeah. great. Now, I, I've never thought of that parallel before, but I'm definitely going to from now on. So this, this is fantastic. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. so funny. You're History. welcome. I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> History repeats itself. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'm going to move on to my number one. Um, I hope everyone has seen this one. This is another one that I, I really do feel is legendary, and I hope it's as legendary in the world as it is in my head. Um, number one. The Devil and Daniel Johnston. She's sleeping around, running all over town. She's doubting it so, she can't even smile. She's thinking about, she don't even know. It's my number five. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's 2005. Uh, that was by Jeff Fierzig. And um, man, oh, man, it, it feels like a movie, you know? Like the structure, the storytelling, the arc, like... 
it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's not just a fly on the wall. It's really laying down track and seeing where that train goes. and Off the rails. Yeah. yeah. The train yeah. goes off the rails. It yeah, really absolutely. does. But, but, but it's also, yeah, it, it's a tragedy. It's a comedy. It's um, it's heroic in a lot of ways. It's um, it's everything to me. Like I feel, I feel like that movie is everything, you know, when it comes to just being a music documentary. It's got it all, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And it's such a like, uh, you really get the arc of his, uh, his story as an outsider. And then like that outsider being thrust into the mainstream and how that maybe isn't a super sustainable model for every musician to be thrust into the mainstream like that. And it's, I think it's a really interesting showcase of how that can, uh, suit some people and not suit others. And like the parallels between like Cobain and Johnson that happened in that, that sort of act of the film. I don't know. I just think a lot about that when I think about the devil and Daniel Johnson, like he obviously was a songwriting, uh, genius in his own realm, mm-hmm. uh, and how maybe, mm-hmm. uh, the world wasn't quite ready for him or maybe yeah. he wasn't quite ready for the world. And both, both versions is sad and beautiful. Yeah, I get it. Number five on my list for sure. Oh, yep. we'll get to your list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, one thing I love about it too is that um, you can see all of these different scenes like flirting with wanting to be a part of the Daniel Johnston world in that documentary and they all fail. Like, like, like there's a moment when like Sonic Youth tries to like become buddy buddy with him. There's a moment when like Jad Fair mm-hmm. and like half Japanese tries to like team up with him. There's a moment when like a Kramer from like Shimmy Disc tries to like team up and like it all fails. Like it just, it just can't work. And yep. it's beautiful and sad. And I, I just want, I want his happiness so badly. And I, I feel like he gets it in some places, you know, like I, th- I think he gets, he gets something. I'm not sure what he wants entirely, but he he definitely gets something. I don't know. Yeah. Um. One theme that I kind of saw when putting together my list, um, and I I see it with with Daniel Johnston and Kurt Cobain as as humans as men is just like this like troubled, um, I don't know, like they they struggle with their own mental identity or something. Um, And I think that's, you know, probably why Kurt Cobain was so all about Daniel Johnston. He, you know, he found out about him and, you know, wore the shirt, like, you know, the, the frog, like alien thing uh, shirt, like in every interview and every TV performance, he was just wearing that thing all over the place. And then that's kind of just like part of how Daniel Johnston blows up too. I I see this theme in a few of the documentaries that, that I love Um, just to see that story of this is like person struggling internally and like then dealing with fame and, everything else that goes along with it. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe those are the types of documentaries that I'm into. It's just this like internal struggle kind of documentary yeah, about char- musicians. Character study ones. Yeah. I, that one always just made me really afraid of being famous in music because right. it seems like uh, his desire to make it onto MTV was like his tragic flaw. And yeah. that's like so, int- that whole sequence is so sad uh, to see like, Obviously, MTV was a cultural icon, whatever. But then uh, to have this person who decided that that was like his goal in life. Right. Uh, I don't know. It's really sad. And yeah. uh, I feel like as an aspiring musician, when I watched that, I I learned a lot about like being careful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you yeah. know what I mean? I For don't know. Sure. I think about it a lot when I uh, when I first watched that movie. I was like, wow, 
uh, music celebrity eats people alive. Like mm-hmm. it's really, I don't know. And yeah. then it's also so beautiful at the same time. Ugh. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, Seth, you were saying, you know, you hope he had moments of happiness. And it's almost like those unacquired things that he wanted brought him happiness in a weird way, like all the women that he loved in his life and he could never get them. But somehow he was still happy to to have something too long after or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps that was the prize in some cases. And gosh, yeah, it's so good. Well, Let's see. I mean, coming up next, Matt, it's going to be your turn. So we'll just keep talking about this. But but first, I'm going to go put all my records away. Um, we'll take a quick break. I'm going to have to have some tea. And then, Matt, you go gather up your five records, and then we'll uh, be right back. In a second. The powerful new iPhone 13 Pro is here with the most advanced camera in an iPhone. And T-Mobile is the place to get it. This new cinematic mode turned my travel videos into a filmmaking masterpiece. Get the most out of your new iPhone on America's largest, fastest 5G network. And posting. Whoa, that was fast. And now you can get iPhone 13 Pro on us with eligible trade-in and plan and upgrade forever. So I can always have a new iPhone? Yep, forever. Lock in the trade-in value of your new iPhone up to 800 bucks every two years for your next upgrade. Get iPhone 13 Pro on us right now and upgrade forever only at T-Mobile. With Max Plan and on us, now via 30-monthly bill credits. For well-qualified buyers plus tax, contact us before canceling service to continue credits on current device or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement is due. Fastest based on average overall 5G speeds according to Open Signal Awards and USA 5G User Experience Report July 2021. This episode is brought to you by The Last Duel, a film by Ridley Scott, director of Gladiator. Witness the true story of one woman who defied a kingdom and made history. Starring Academy Award winners Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, Academy Award nominee Adam Driver, and Jodie Comer, who gives a performance critics say will be remembered come Oscar time. The script was written by Academy Award nominee Nicole Hall of Center, as well as Affleck and Damon. The Last Duel, now playing only in theaters. Okay, we are back. Um, we are talking about top five music documentaries. And I like that, um, at least for me, it's a pretty wide open spectrum. But we're going to hear how uh, how Matt tackled that. Matt, count us down. Well, I think we, we already heard your number five, which is The Devil and Daniel Johnston, correct? There was a day when I was so lonely Time passed me by, I was more dead than alive yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, there's like a, a pattern here where number five and number one are sort of related. Mm. And I'll talk about that at the end. Wonderful. That, that kind of comes in a circle. Yeah. But yeah, number five, Devil and Daniel Johnston. Uh, number four uh, on my list, uh, this one's kind of obscure and it was given to me by a college professor when I was doing my undergrad and I was in this class called nature writing and he oh. knew that I was like a musician too. And he was like, uh, I'm not going to make this required. And I don't think anybody else in the class would care, but you should go watch this documentary. And he let me the DVD and it's called touch the sound Evelyn Gwynney.
So Evelyn Gwenny is this really interesting percussionist who uh, is deaf and uh, she's legally deaf. And she's like, uh, I think there's a thing that where they call people profoundly deaf. Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether or not she's that far, but I know it's close. Like she has very little like ear hearing, Gotcha. but she got into playing percussion uh, as a sort of like surprise to everybody. And she had like really good uh, time and everything uh, rhythm. And she got into percussion because she said that uh, it's the kind of music that she could feel in her body. Mm. And so she like uses her body as like a resonant chamber. And it's about her sort of like journey as a musician, learning how to play music as a deaf person. But then also she, uh, there's a bunch of performances throughout the, the film and she like, uh, performs in a studio and there's this section where Fred Frith and her improvise together. And I don't know if everyone is familiar with Fred Frith in here in the record store, but he's sort of like far out new music, uh, improviser. He was like buds with Brian Eno. Uh, he's like sort of new agey, uh, but Fred Frith does like really cool prepared guitar stuff. And so Evelyn Gwynney, Fred Frith duo, on film in college blew my mind. Uh, I'm like not super into either of their discographies or anything. Uh, and that's one of the things I picked with a lot of these films are like, I love these musicians, but I think I love the films almost more than some of their songs or like I, yeah. I watch the films, but I don't necessarily listen to their music a lot. For sure. Uh, this Evelyn Gwenny one is absolutely the case. I definitely recommend it to everybody who's into like free music, improv, but it's also uh, really moving to watch this person uh, with this like uh, physical disability uh, become a profound and moving artist in that field. It's amazing. I love it. No, I've never seen this. It sounds wonderful. Sounds, yeah, it sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty deep cut. And it's one of those like things that you would randomly find at a library or something. Right. It's just like, yeah. yeah, it just fell into my hands from this professor and I watched it. Like he gave it to me and he was like, yeah, bring it back on Monday or whatever. I watched it like two or three times in a weekend and was just like fixated. Wow. It was really cool. So uh, touch the sound. Evelyn Gwynne is what it's called. You, you cool. said yeah. uh, two things that I thought were really interesting. Um, one talking about documentaries where you aren't actually crazy about the music but the documentary is fascinating. There are a couple that almost made my list that like, I guess I'll just talk about one right now. There's this fish documentary called oh, uh, Bittersweet <laughs> Motel. Have, have you ever cool. seen Bittersweet Motel? No, but I'm like a proxy jam band fan. Oh, there so you go. I love I love jam bands, but I also love making fun of jam bands. So sure. like, let's go. Let's talk about fish. <laughs> Todd Phillips directed this film way before he was making like, you know, Joker and old school and whatever else Todd Phillips Whoa. is famous for making. This yeah. is one of his first films was this documentary about fish. And um, it will make you like fish, which is fascinating. <laughs> like if you go into it, just watching it, because it really is about documenting just like this weird world that kind of like circles them. Like if they're like the eye of the hurricane or tornado <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. And like the world Shark, that happens. Sharknado? Yes. <laughs> or a fishnado. Fish, fishnado, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, in seeing like the, the wildness that happens all around them, but never actually touches them. I mean, I'm okay with fish. I have nothing against fish in particular, but watching this documentary is really special to me. So, so I, I think you're right. There are, there are a bunch of documentaries that like, I don't care about this artist. However, I love this documentary, you know? Yeah. That my top pick is like, uh, my gold standard for that. So Ooh. I'll get there when we get there. Yeah. That's number one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Colorado, which like if you live in Colorado, you will hear jam bands no matter what, wherever right. you go. And yeah. so uh, 
I was always like the punk. I was like into punk and noise and hardcore. And then uh, would like work in restaurants and the chefs would just like smoke weed and listen to fish every day. And right. that was like what it was like there. And yeah. so uh, eventually I was like, I have to just like stop. I have, I have determined to hate this. I have to stop doing that and just let myself like fish. And I get it. It's yeah. fun. No, yeah. no, it's totally fun. No, I, 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 yeah. uh, I grew up in uh, Eugene, Oregon. So, oh, yeah. so same thing. Yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> everyone around me was listening to fish. Eventually you go, all right, I guess, yeah. I guess I'll give this a try. And, uh, Yowzer, it's, um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's good. Like there's no question about that. They are talented at what they're doing. And the bigger question is, can you get over yourself and over the goofiness to actually enjoy it. Like enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what's so cool about, uh, that was why I was in such conflict with my character as like a hardcore punk, angry noise guy. Was right. Cause that's the genres demand that you take yourself so seriously for the most part. <laughs> right. And so then like they'd put fish in and I'd be like, this just sounds like rubbery, stupid. And they're like, that's the point. It's right. fun. And then right. I was like, music can't be fun. It's gotta be serious. <laughs> <laughs> this is dumb. Uh, now I, I like, I love, I love jam bands. Yeah. For sure. I'm not like a scholar or anything, right. but like, if you put it on, I will enjoy it. Right. So, no, I, yeah. I, I'm the kind of person who has been to two fish shows in my life. And so, wow. And so that's, that's awesome. That's the thing. So compared to actual fish fans who have seen them 500 times, I'm sure I'm nothing, but compared yeah. to the person who's <laughs> never gone, I'm an all-star cause I've gone You're twice. You're like, wow, you've seen them twice. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but, but the other thing that you, that um, what you were saying about this documentary reminded me of, um, talking about a musician who is deaf. When I was in art school, um, one of my contemporaries, um, she was blind and was was a, a visual artist. Wow. And man, oh man, it's amazing to see like when you aren't, you know, being kind of like hampered by all these like things that were just taught and that like society has forced on us about what art is and what art isn't, to seeing it come from like a brand new position in life. And, and, and so anyway, so, so this woman's art that I knew back in college, it immediately, immediately made me think of this deaf percussionist because like, yeah. it is like, you don't need the traditional senses and whatever to make something. It's just going to put it in a different way. It's just going to kind of aim it in a slightly different location, you know? Yeah. And I think one of the things that was really formative to me too, was watching this musician explain how she listened to music using mm. her body. And as like, I was I was watching this around the time that I started getting, like I was discovering deep listening and like really getting into ambient music. And so to like watch this person actively do deep listening, like interacting with percussion instruments in a room and listening with her feet, my brains were just like, I was like, oh, you can listen with your feet, like music. It was was very exciting. So yeah, that's definitely uh, number four on my list. Love it. Touch the sound. Okay, number three on my list uh, is a tour documentary, which I love a good tour documentary, but uh, it's a tour documentary that takes the band's ethos and injects it directly into how the documentary looks and feels in a way that I think is very unprecedented. And it's uh, Lightning Bolt, The Power of Salad and Milkshakes. I don't know if either of you have ever seen The Power of Salad and Milkshakes, uh, but it is Lightning Bolt and their friend in a van trekking across America in like maybe 2004, I think might be the year it came out. 
I haven't uh, heard someone talk about lightning bolt and it's got to be five <laughs> years and I'm ecstatic that I'm thinking yeah. about lightning bolt right now. Yeah. Like, cause, cause their live shows are incredible. Yeah. So, life changing experience for me the first time I saw lightning bolt and, uh, and then I like, this was also like at the rise when things that weren't supposed to be on the internet were starting to find their way on the internet. And I right. never bought the DVD, but I downloaded it illegally. Right. And it was one of these things where I like, and then it was passed around my group of friends on a USB like thumb drive. And we all watched this lightning bolt documentary, uh, which I think is just like, so 2005, 2006, <laughs> yes. you know? Uh, yeah. But, like, unless it was like on a burnt CD or something. Totally. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Uh, and the documentary is so cool because it's just the two Brian's and Lightning Bolt and their friend like driving across America, and like you can just like look at them and tell that they stink. And uh, <laughs> there's like a lot of discussion about their weird like it. It's like going on tour with Lightning Bolt. Like mm-hmm. you get to jump in the van with them, but then also uh, there's incredible live footage, which is like one of those things that uh, anything like Lightning. Lightning Bolt Live is like a whole experience, I think, right. for uh, a whole generation of musicians. And so, uh, or like a niche in that generation. But then also the editing is really cool where uh, they like cut between shows and the like ferocity of the shows that Lightning Bolt puts on. And then right next to like the mundanity of them driving across America in a van together. Wow. And it's like, they have these like really beautiful tender moments, the two Brian's and lightning bolt, and they'll be like bonding. And they, there's this really amazing sequence uh, where they're like bouncing a tennis ball against a wall at a truck stop. And you can tell they're just like, they've been in a van too long and they need a break. And one of them is bouncing a tennis ball against the wall. And you can tell he's like having a really good time doing this really simple thing. <laughs> right. And then the other Brian's like watching him and he's like, Oh, cool. And then, uh, he like keeps bouncing it. And then the other Brian notices that the other Brian's watching him. And then he like invites him over and then they start bouncing the ball together against the wall. And then it starts hard cutting between that and a show. And you can see that they're like, they have this like brotherhood of music. And then it's also uh, that they're having a lot of fun doing this thing. And it's this really beautiful moment. And it's like weirdly tender and it's soundtracked by like lightning bolt. It's, it's really cool. Uh, Absolutely fantastic film. The Power of Salad and Milkshakes. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I want to see it. Yeah, it's really great. And it also, like, everything shot on mini DV, and it's, like, super pixelated, (laughs) and the sound is, like, so blown out. Uh, And there's also a great sequence where Lightning Bolt plays at, like, they had a show in Texas that fell through, and they ended up playing just, like, a house party in an apartment complex. And if you know what Lightning Bolt Live is like, it's, like, a a wall of monitors. And... Uh, they put it all in this guy's kitchen and just like, it's so loud. And <laughs> wow. The people at this house party are not Lightning Bolt fans and they had no idea what they were getting into, but they oh, flip. No. <laughs> They're like having so much fun and freaking out. And then at the end of it, Brian Chippendale, the drummer, crawls into the fridge because he's like overheating. Like he takes everything out of the fridge and crawls into the fridge. It's fantastic. Great film. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. listen to some Lightning Bolt tonight. Like, like yeah. I, I haven't even thought about them in forever. Um didn't someone from Lightning Bolt spin off into Black Puss? Is that correct? Yeah, that that's Brian Chippendale, who's yes, the drummer. Yes, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Black Puss. Do, do you know what what all the other members are up to these days? So yeah, so it's two guys named Brian Chippendale does Black Puss, and then the other guy is Brian Gibson, and he uh, did sound a soundtrack for a video game and helps develop a video game that's like an indie game now that's very very popular, and I can't remember what it is off the top of my head right now. Interesting, uh, but Brian, yeah, but Brian Gibson is like. Uh, 
earning accolades as being a video game composer. Wow. And they put out a, a lightning bolt record maybe like two years ago or something. And it's really good. Nice. So like they still, they still got it. Yeah. The Fantastic. game is called Thumper. Thumper. That's the one. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. Wow. Uh, it's fantastic. Yep. I'm so happy. I'm thinking about Lightning Bolt. Like that's, that's great. There, there's so <laughs> many bands like that, that you just like, you love them. And then for whatever reason, they just don't enter into your mind again for X number of years. And then it's like, oh yeah, love. Oh yeah. <laughs> Lightning Bolt. Yeah. And there, it's another one of those documentaries too, where like, if you have an itch to listen to Lightning Bolt, you could also just watch the documentary right. and it's like, it's like you get a lot of lightning bolt music, you watch them practicing, but then also uh, you get to, you get this like narrative of these like two guys who are total outcast freak weirdos, but they're like love of playing loud, crazy music together. Oh, it's wonderful. I love it. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so cool. that's my number three. Uh, number two uh, came to me by way of Bobby Power from Geographic North, who's the other person sort of behind the scenes at Geographic North. And I love Bobby dearly. And he recommended this to me and I watched it. And I feel like this was actually at the very beginning of quarantine. Uh, and I it was in that phase where it was just like, oh, this is going to be like two weeks. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to get some like movies to watch. And I watched this film and it's called Coda. And it's about Raichi Sakamoto. So if you're unfamiliar with Ryuchi Sakamoto, he is a very enigmatic Japanese composer and he's played all sorts of music and done all sorts of things. Uh, and this film is about a time in Sakamoto's life where he, it's relatively recent, uh, he had cancer and then his cancer went into remission and it's sort of like about him and his studio practice as a musician after his cancer went into remission and uh, there's a lot of like him doing field recordings of glaciers, which is like really, really mm -hmm. amazing and special. Uh, and then integrating them into his music. And it's sort of like a history of Sakamoto. Uh, I don't know if either of you have seen this at all. No, yes, no, I, I have. It, it It's interesting because I didn't realize how it's like, and I think it tries to convey this in the documentary that like he, his music is almost aligned with these like, pieces in his life. Yeah. Like the thing where he's just like um, pushing um, for um, less nuclear power or something like social, the social political um, issues at the time in his, in his region in Japan. Um, yeah. And then the cancer and yeah. And the tsunami, just like everything. Yeah, that whole sequence with the tsunami too. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and also, I, uh, I am obsessed with seeing inside of uh, musicians who I love's home studios. Mm. And so uh, there's a sequence where you see uh, Sakamoto Sensei rolling around his studio on like a, a giant yoga ball. And he's like moving <laughs> between like a Moog and then he like goes over to the computer and then he's like bowing stuff. Uh, that was one of those like fireworks in my mind moments where I was just like, oh man, this is like one of my heroes and this is how he works. It was so cool. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. one... Oh, sorry. There was no, no, like one part where he's like, doesn't this sound very 80s to you? And I'm just like, that's so funny to hear him talking about that. <laughs> yeah, like in his scene. Yeah, it's so cool. He's and just this like m amazing composer. 
So to hear him talking about 80s synth music is kind of funny. I don't know why. Totally. And I think it's one of those things too, where he's on such a pedestal and like deservedly so. Yeah. And it really, uh, it gives you a peek into his humanity in a way that you maybe wouldn't have without a sort of music documentary about him. Uh, And so it's really cool to see him have these moments where he like turns to the camera and like, you know, like Jim from the offices and he's like, listen to that. And it's like, what? What? Yeah. Really There's delightful. like a really long shot of him eating banana yes, out of a bowl. Shot. And I'm just yeah. like, wow, they're really just letting him eat that banana for a long time. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. But maybe that's what they were trying to capture. It's just like, he's just this regular guy. Yeah. And he, I think it's like also, I, it's totally that. He's so normal. It's just Reichi Sakamoto. But then also it's like, even he's one of those artists where like even watching him eat a banana is fascinating. Yeah. I, yeah. I was definitely entranced watching him yeah. eat that banana. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> Highly recommend. Yeah. It's also very sleepy. So if you're like tired yeah. and you like want a good documentary, that's going to like coast you into a great night of sleep. Uh, that's a great, great one to watch. Yep. Uh, Okay. So then that leaves me with my number one. And this is an intentionally sort of controversial pick. Mm. And I have good controversial reasons for it. Uh, And maybe not controversial is the right word, but I'm going to say something that's probably going to offend some music fan out there. My (laughs) number one music documentary is Jandek on Corewood. Uh, and I don't know if either of you have heard of this documentary. Mm, no. uh, so uh, do either of you know who Jandek is? Mm. Okay. I don't think uh, so. This is, uh, this is one of the reasons why I think this might be a controversial pick as number one, because it seems like really pretentious or silly, but I really, <laughs> I had just hear me out and let me explain. Sure. So D- Jandek uh, is a musician whose music I do not like. Uh, huh. And, uh, but I, it's not that I, don't act. It's not that I actively don't like it. It's just that I never have a time in my life where I want to sit down and listen to a Jandek record. He is this like really enigmatic guy. He is from outside of Houston and Jandek is sort of like a persona. And he just started self-releasing his own records a bunch when he was like in his twenties or thirties and uh, was putting out like almost an LP a year. And it's really like atonal blues like uh, it's really haunting and weird and not in tune. And he's like not a great singer. And he sort of like mumbles these like quasi existential lyrics or whatever. Uh, there are a few Jandek songs that I think are like technically beautiful or whatever, but for the most part, it's pretty unlistenable music. But the documentary is super riveting and super fascinating. And it's about how he sort of built this persona of Jandek. And then like you, He's not in the, he is not interviewed at all in his documentary. He's like, whatever, not a part of it. But then all of these Jandek fans sort of like talk about their opinions of Jandek mm. and his like music and his history. And it's all speculative. And then you find out that he basically helped produce the film. And so <laughs> it's like this really, it's this really beautiful film about, uh, and this is how it relates to the devil and Daniel Johnson for me. They're both Texans, first of all. They also were happening around the same time there. But uh, it's one of those things where uh, the documentary captures the person that the, that's making this music and sort of tells their art, their story as an artist in a way that that musician, I don't think was ever really capable of doing with their music necessarily. Like Johnson's an amazing musician and he wrote great songs, but like 
he was not producing tapes that were studio quality, obviously. And that's right. part of his charm. Like Jandek records are miserable to listen to. <laughs> They're not delightful, but I have watched this documentary maybe four times uh, since discovering it in college. And every time I watch it, I have a blast. I also like, don't have to listen to Jandek music for a long time after that. Uh, <laughs> it's just one of those things where it's a great story. The interviews are like captivating and sort of hilarious. The f- There's like fanboys and the fanboys are really great. And they're like quintessential, like ponytail, angry music people who are like, I always thought his name was John Deck. Like they have, they all have hot <laughs> takes on this like really obscure guy. Uh, as someone who like wanted to r- start a record label or like self-release my music, mm-hmm. I was like, this is like the ultimate version of a persona. And Jan Deck really did it. He really drove it home. Uh, I don't like his music, but I love this film. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a weird pick for number one, but it's one that anytime someone talks about music documentaries, I'm like, have you seen Jandek on Corewood? Like, you don't have to listen to Jandek music. You should just watch this documentary. So I'm definitely yeah. going to look this up. Can you can you spell Jandek for me? Yeah, so it's J-A-N-D-E-K. Mm-hmm. J-A-N-D-E-K. Okay, so it's yeah, like first Jandek. name Jan, last name Deck. Yeah, but and it's just one word, Jandek. One, yep. one word, Jandek. Okay. Yep. And um, and you said on Corewood? Is Corewood on like- Corewood. Uh, C-O-R-W-O-O-D. Is that like a, a studio? Is that, what is that? Is it a street? Uh, it's like so a it's like, record label. Yeah. Uh, so then it, yeah, it was his record label. Corewood Industries is his gotcha. record label. And then also- uh, I believe Corwood was a street that he lived on. Gotcha. So it was like uh, Jandek on Corwood, sort of like <laughs> Shakespeare, like William upon Avon. Right. Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also like so epic of him to, <laughs> to like co-produce a film where it's like Jandek on Corwood as in William upon Avon, I, wow. which is like hilarious to me to compare this to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, this sounds it's great. Such a, it's a great film. And it's all like, I'm going to say it again. Like I have... Maybe once or twice in my life, I'm like, I'm going to put on Jandek. And I'm always like one song in, like, no, nah, that was, that's not the right move. Yeah. But I am always, if someone was like, you want to watch Jandek on Corwood? I'd be like, let's go. Let's watch the whole thing right now. It's For sure. Great. No, no, no. Yeah. And the, the, you're, you're absolutely right. This comes back to us talking about the uh, Fish documentary. And like, I can say, I have seen, I think, multiple Insane Clown Posse documentaries. Oh. I don't listen to Insane Clown Posse, but I'll watch that fucking documentary anytime. Yeah. You know? That makes me... That makes me really want to watch some insane clown posse documentaries. Yeah, because like uh, I've never. No, yeah. no, no matter what you want to say about this group, they are an independent powerhouse that made their own scene and their own army of followers. Yeah. And congratulations to them for doing that. You know, like yeah. every independent label, every independent artist has the greatest aspirations, and it's very difficult to be popular when you're independent. Look what they did as independent musicians with their own label. Congratulations, yeah. you yeah. know? They're- I, I'm, I just love subculture and counterculture too, like yeah. documentaries that can capture that, which is like Decline of the Western Civilization. Yeah. There's like all these other ones. Uh, Here, here's one, I'll, 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 this is a free recommendation. This is this is separate. I'll look up a movie called American Juggalo. I believe okay, it's- that's, it's, that's the one I've heard about. That yeah. one's wonderful. The, the director of that, I believe his name is Sean Dunn. I'm, I'm going off the top of my head right now. Uh, yeah. This guy named Sean Dunn makes wonderful documentaries. Um, one of them is, I believe, it's American Juggalo. I believe it's him. I apologize, Sean Dunn, if I'm getting your name wrong. Um, and um, he has this other one, which is really great. It's about um, 
the man who owns the most records in the world. And Whoa. he's a very old man and he's got this big old warehouse and he's just, you know, he's an old man. He's probably going to die soon. Maybe he's dead already. Who knows? But he's just like, well, I just want to sell them. I guess. I don't know what I'm going to do. I think I've seen that one. Do you yeah. remember what that one's called? Uh, no, I don't. But I've, I've, I've I seen believe Sean Dunn though. directed it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I've seen that. The one about the guy with all the records though, for sure. Yeah. And then uh, the thing I love about his, his movies too, is they're always really short. Short. I believe the one about the guy with all the records is maybe 20 minutes tops. Uh, same thing. Oh, cool. Same thing for the um, uh, American Juggalo. I think it's got to be a half hour at most. And yeah. it's everything you need. You don't need more. It's 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 all right there, you know? Yeah. I have two off the list picks too that oh, here, I want to throw in. Here, we'll save, we'll save those. Yeah. We'll, we'll, do, okay. we'll do a short list towards the end and we'll rattle okay. them off. Okay. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Okay. But I, great. I, love the, I love the recommendations I've gotten from you for this. Like this is... This is yeah. everything I want from these. I want conversations. I want recommendations, and I want someone else's passions, you know, brought out. So this is this is. Can fantastic. I go back though to the to the, your number one? I feel like Jandek is another one of those like flawed individuals. Yes, those like yes, yes, flawed yes. men, and just yeah, it's so interesting to me. Well, I you're have, totally right, Tara. Yeah, I have He's more like, when we get to my list. Oh, <laughs> good tease, good tease. So, yes, um, yes. excellent. So, so two down, one to go. Um, let's see. So, Matt, you go put your records back, and then Tara, you go grab yours. Let's all take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, we're counting down top five favorite music documentaries. I have gone. Matt has gone, a.k.a. M. Sage. Uh, Matt, I have a quick question for you. When, yeah. it, when it comes to organizing people's names in a record store, I want to put you under Sage, <laughs> M. Is that where you would want to be placed? Sure, that's great. Okay. Yeah. Well, would you fault the, someone for putting you under, under the M's as well, though? No, it's one of those things that this is all... I blame the music industry for this because there's another guy who has an ASCAP, which means that he's registered all the music made under the name Matthew Sage. And so I had, oh. I just had to do something to make music uh, as myself. And then in hindsight, I'm glad about it because now it's sort of like a persona in some ways. Right. Uh, but long story short, you can put me in the Sage section and that's great by me. Cause I also wanted it to be, but just by my name. Yep. Right. I dig it. Yep. Excellent. Yeah. But if you put me in the M, that's fine too. Yeah. Cause I wonder, okay, well, I mean, you'll know the answer to this. How often do people talk to you and they're talking about M Ward, but they're talking uh, to you M Sage? Uh, I mean, not never, that's never happened, but okay. people are often like, Oh, M Sage, are you doing that thing? Cause of M Ward, uh -huh. it's, it's usually the other way around where they're like, Oh, M Ward did it first. And I'm like, yeah, he, he's, his name is also Matt. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so, cool. I mean, you know, yeah. M Ward is I really cool. want to do, I want to collaborate on an album with Zoe Deschanel though. So if anyone wants to like figure out how that could happen, because yeah. isn't there that M Ward Zoe Deschanel album that they did together? She yeah. and him, right? That's what they're yeah, called. She and him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you yeah. can be she and she and M, right? Yeah. Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> I like it. You know what? I would like to hear an ambient 
Zoe Deschanel <laughs> album. I would like that. I, I, I would just like do like hauntological remixes of her singing Christmas carols like she did in Elf and just make them really scary and like Stanley Kubricky. That's yeah. all I do. I love yeah. it. Interesting. I, I think yeah. she'll be in. Next time Zoe stops by the store, I will I will tell her this. And Yeah, just give her my email. I think yeah. this is a great idea. <laughs> Put her in touch with my people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Tara, uh, we're, do- we're talking top five documentaries. I can't wait to hear yours. Hit us with it. Yeah. Well, I just want to say first that I... I have uh, ADHD and I struggle with sitting down to watch movies, Mm. but I love movies. And a lot of the movies that I've seen and that I enjoy tend to be foreign films. And I've learned that recently because of my ADHD, that it's because they have captions that subtitles. <laughs> yeah, that I'm able to really focus on movies more than more um, foreign films, more than other movies. Um, so I tend to get my music biographies from books or audiobooks, and mm. I don't watch a lot of movies. And it's crazy because I can totally commit to like a show, like a TV show for like. 30 minutes. Um, so I haven't seen a ton of music documentaries, but I have seen some, and I think these are my choices. I just wanted to like preface that for whatever reason. Sure. I, there's so many too. Like you said, there's so many music documentaries out there. It's like, where do you even start if you were interested in watching, you know, the best ones? Right. So, right. Cause, cause um, it also has to be really um, subjective because so many music documentaries yeah. require on your knowledge of and, you know, hopefully your liking of a, a musician, you know, some like we mentioned don't. But I would say the majority of music documentaries are like, oh, hey, you like Weezer? Here's a Weezer documentary for you, the Weezer fan, you know? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, they're yeah. a token of fandom in some ways. Like, right. yeah. Hmm. yeah. My friend Tom is like, you should just put on a movie and just listen to it because it's the same thing as like an audio book. But I'm, I disagree because when you do watch a music documentary, you get all those like shots that you would never see pictures, um, footage. Yeah. So I feel like you can't close or blink your eyes or you will miss something cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, getting into my, my list here. Um, the first one is from 2003 and that is Dig. Yeah, I'm so glad someone mentioned um, Dig. I mean, that, that one's a classic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. It's funny because it's almost like they maybe started it out as a documentary and then it kind of turns into a movie, but also maybe like a mockumentary, rockumentary kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. But it was filmed over seven years and they got a ton of footage. But I think you can see the change of their relationship. Um, Courtney, Taylor Taylor, and uh, Anton from... Uh, Brian Jonestown Massacre, like they start to just hate each other. And this becomes such a huge rivalry over the years. And I think even uh, Brian Jonestown Massacre, like on their website says something like they totally reject the idea of Dig as a movie. So I don't know. It's just really interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's That's a good pick. For sure. I I think that that movie also, kind of like other things we've mentioned, I don't think you had to be a Brian Jonestown Massacre fan to watch it, but I think that movie introduced a bunch of people to Brian Jonestown Massacre. Yeah. And then going back to that whole idea of like flawed people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really noticing like a through line. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like 
he, Anton, especially like probably a little bit Courtney Taylor, Taylor too, but especially the Anton guy from Brian Johnstone Massacre, like you can see, and I haven't watched this movie in a really long time, but, um, I remember this about him. He, he just kind of goes off the rails too, you know, he kind of, but they do talk about how, you know, like you're stuck in a van, not eating any food and doing a lot of drugs with all these people. And yeah, you kind of are just like, that's inevitable. Yeah. Um, that's a really good pick. Sure. I haven't watched that in a long time either. It made me really want to go watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. I think I need to rewatch it too. I think I probably watched it around the time that it came out. So it's been, a, it's been a while for me right. too. Yeah. So I have two things. First of all, uh, so I, uh, for my day job, I'm a college teacher and I teach the cinema class and we're always talking about, uh, we have a unit on documentaries and we talk about how, uh, the presence of a camera distorts reality. And this is like yeah. one of the things that we talk a lot about. Uh, and we talk about like Werner Herzog films and then how the mockumentary started to like lean into that. And mm-hmm. I love this film as an example of one of those films that maybe started as a documentary. And like you were saying, like morphed into this like fictional exaggerated version of itself. Uh, and I was talking about this earlier too, with Tom York, you know, uh, right. meeting people is easy. This like, uh, this reality getting distorted by the documentary camera being there and like the band being aware that they're not just on stage when they're on stage, but also when they're in front of this camera for however long, uh, super fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you definitely get that, especially with the Anton guy. I keep calling him that Anton guy. (laughs) Anton, you keep getting that with him because he's definitely like, you know, probably not narcissistic in reality, like the actual definition of narcissistic, but in a way he is kind of narcissistic. Like he, and he's showing, showing off a bit for the camera and kind of just being wild and his personality is huge. And yeah. And then maybe are they like editing is the director editing all of this mega footage that they got to make it turn into this. I mean, obviously they have a huge rivalry, but are they playing off of this even more when they do the whole, like, not if you're the last dandy versus not if you're a junkie, whatever, you know, the songs. Yeah, so totally. Like yep. what, what's real, what's fake at this point is a kind of my question, I guess. Well, and also imagine too, if you're, if someone comes up to you and says, Hey, you're the subject of this documentary, the ego boost that that would do for you would yep. yeah. immediately change you know, how, how you, uh, interact with everyone. Um, and also, um, if, if you're a lead singer of, of any band, you already have a bit of that. And so then to put on top of that, and you're the star of this movie, you're, you're setting up some, some bowling pins to fall. Like there, there, there's no way that that, that, that ends well, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And I think in some cases it really like, uh, exacerbates that for some people, but I think in the devil, the devil and Daniel Johnson, we see like his most like sweetest and purest side come out to the documentary crew, which is like the exact opposite of it, where he felt vindicated by them deciding to do a documentary about him. And then he was like the star finally. And that was so sweet. But then in dig, it's like the exact opposite. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Wait, I didn't realize, I thought that they had done the devil and Daniel Johnston posthumously. No, no, no. It was while he was still there. It was like at the very end of his career. Uh, Yeah. Cause yeah, he, he died pretty recently. I'm going to say what, two, three years ago. It was pretty recent. Yeah. 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 That's true. And it came out in 2005. So yeah, Mm -hmm. at least some of that footage would have had to have been like current. Yeah. And it was like right after the, 
that that like Target started using Devil and like your Daniel Johnson songs. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, he like got his like big Target paycheck and he got his documentary <laughs> and you you can sort of see that lightness on him. Right. It becomes him like he deserves it. And it's yeah. so sweet. It's the total opposite in Dig. Right. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> I guess it's time that I tell my number four pick. And I was okay. keeping it a secret. But number four is the devil and Daniel Johnston. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves the devil and Daniel Johnston. I am walking the cow. I was like, I got to save some stuff to talk about when it gets back to me. So I'm just going to keep quiet about this (laughs) being on my list. (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. I guess I love, like, I'm just seeing a pattern of loving this sort of like, look at this person's life and how much stuff they've had to go through, but also like mentally, not just like events. Um, but the the plane crash thing, I, I don't Ugh. think you can have spoilers with documentaries, right? Like you could probably find that information anywhere. But I did not know about that plane crash. Yes. Wild. Yeah. And it blew my mind. I was like, are you kidding me? Like he was trying to crash the plane with his own father in it. That is just wild. So wild. Yeah. I mean, Ooh. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like we have probably all had those moments where our brain kind of takes over. But in an airplane is oh my god yeah it's just blows my mind um and the fact that they survived is wild yeah yeah but yeah yeah that's one of those things where i kind of suppressed that whole sequence (laughs) and i was thinking about it more as the music and now that you brought it up it's like all pouring back and i'm freaking out a little bit because i totally forgot about it yeah sorry no i mean man yeah what a story yeah it is so interesting to hear I, i mean i honestly didn't really listen to daniel johnston very much until gosh, probably around the early 2000s. And I didn't see this movie until recently though. So it wasn't because of this movie and I don't know what it was because of. Um, But being a DJ, I made a, I DJed an art show once and I was like, I want this to have, I want this art show to have just like weird music. And I called my set, like you don't call your set anything, but I was calling my set songs in the key of Z and it, and it just was like weird music. And Daniel Johnson was definitely in my set list. Hmm. Yep. Gotta Weirdo be. music for weirdos kind of a thing. Like right. outsider music. Outsider yeah. music. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think that's why that and the Jandek movie are so like tied together to me. Cause it's these stories about outsiders and I love that shit. So. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, it's funny, uh, when you said you don't remember where you first heard Daniel Johnston, my mind went, do I remember? And I do. I remember the exact moment when I first heard Daniel Johnston. I was watching that uh, Larry Clark slash Harmony Corinne film, Kids. Kids. And at one point, they are in Central Park, and they start beating up this guy for absolutely nothing like it's just like like you know one of them was skateboarding too close to this other guy or whatever and there's this horrific scene where a mob of children <laughs> beats up this guy and in the background is Casper the Friendly Ghost by yeah. by Daniel Johnston and that was the first time I heard it and I was like wow like first of all like the choices all the choices being made are yeah. wild but this Wait, song is amazing the- isn't one of the characters and kids named Casper? Yeah, the, kid, yeah, the kid's name uh, is Casper. And he, he's yeah. the one involved. He's the one involved oh, yeah. in this scene. And yeah. so it's yeah. just like, 
anyway, I remember that being the moment, and that was me going, I got to oh. find out who this artist is. Let's let, let's track this down. And then that led me down this whole world of like just like lo-fi musicians and, you know, and then ultimately into like anti-folk and all that yeah. wonderful yeah. Moldy Peaches world. So it's great. <laughs> if you love that stuff, you're going to flip over Jandek, just so you know. Nice. Like, he is, <laughs> I look forward like, to it. He's the like the king of anti-folk. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. So have, have fun. Six on, <laughs> six on six is the one that people say is good. I don't know. That's that one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, all right. So number three is from 2019 and it's called Mystify. Michael Hutchins. Mystify. Mystify me. Mystify. I have not seen this. I don't know this it's either. It's so good. But you know who Michael Hutchins is, right? I don't think I do. No. He's the singer of NXS. Oh, oh. gotcha. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Beautiful man. Beautiful man. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and it's directed by Richard Lowenstein, but... Um, it kind of, it goes from, you know, of, of course, just like a lot of stories starts when they're young and then, you know, goes through their entire career, their entire life. And, you know, it talks about his love and love life and how he was at one point very much in love with Kylie Minogue and they had this uh, blossoming romance but kind of at the very height of both of their the heights of their careers and so they never got to see each other Um, and I think that's partly why the relationship ended but a lot of things happened to him and there's one thing in particular that was very alarming and I had no idea um, that this happened to him, that he got into kind of an argument with a, a taxi driver and the taxi driver like punches him or pushes him or something. And as he falls back and he hits his head on a curb Oof. and, you know, he leaves the scene, everything seems fine potentially, but he had injured something that really affected the way that he thought and um, wow. it, like struggled with emotion after that. Um, and he couldn't taste. And, you know, you hear, I always heard when I was uh, like a teenager, I can't even remember what year he died, but I always heard that he died from uh, self asphyxiation like or whatever. Auto, autoerotic. Autoerotic, is, yeah. Is, that's like, what yeah. I, yeah. That's what I've heard as well. That's yeah. Not true. I mean, really? Wow. His ex girlfriend, one of these ex girlfriends, like, uh, said that, but that that's not actually how he died. And Whoa. he did, he was depressed and he was taking pills. So just like, yeah. And so, hmm. but it all stemmed from this like brain injury that he probably didn't even know he had, you know, like right. it's crazy. I know I had no idea. And I was like, wow, this more people need to see this movie. It's such a good movie. Interesting. Hey, man, wow. that, that autoerotic asphyxiation rumor really stuck. Cause Yeah, that's like the most, like I am not in touch with In Excess as a music fan really at all, but right. I know that about Michael Hutchins. And Ditto. That's, yeah. That sucks that that's not true. That's right. Super uh, sucks. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. I highly recommend that movie. It's great. Nice. Um, and I just want to add that I really feel like Harry Styles is the new Michael Hutchins. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, I love these like cross genre call ups that we're doing. And that's a really good one. <laughs> Dang. Um, yeah, mine are all like pretty contemporary documentaries um, and pretty new. Like uh, I've I've really just been digging in as much as I can lately. But again, it's kind of tricky for me at 
to focus. So it takes me a long time. I always have to pause and come back. Um, but number two is from 2020, actually. Ooh. And it is Bee Gees, How Do You Mend a Broken Heart? How can you stop the rain? Whoa. I haven't seen this, but I've heard it's like... Ditto. And that, so good. And that's it's really cool so that like, I, I, I've, Matt, I've heard the exact same thing, which is like, I have no interest in the Bee Gees. I'm sure they're fine and everything, but I've never really listened to and don't like them. But I've had multiple people say to me, oh, it doesn't matter if you like the Bee Gees. Watch this documentary. You know? It's a good film. Yep. Right. So, so yeah, t- one, tell us all about yeah. it, Tara. So I feel like a lot of people are familiar with the Bee Gees. That is, you know, Night Fever. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, they start as a rock band. They're a lot like the zombies. And a Mm. lot of people were comparing them to the Beatles. And they're just like this group of brothers and they wanted to do rock. Something happened. uh, I can't even remember now the details of how they, like, sorted this out. But they, uh, you know, they were recording in the studio in Miami. And Barry comes in, does his uh, falsetto voice. And everyone's like, whoa, what was that? What did you just do with your voice kind of a thing? And that is kind of like how they pivoted to this new soul. They were trying to do more soul music because they really loved soul music. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it was... it totally changed the trajectory of their career. They started doing these like more groovy songs, started to blow up. The, some, some guy bought the rights to this disco movie, then was like, Hey, can you guys do the soundtrack? And pretty much hit after hit in one session, they wrote all these songs for Saturday night fever. It blew up. Like the whole disco era blew up. Um, I think because of the commercial commercialization of just like the Bee Gees and that Saturday Night Fever movie, you know, because disco kind of started as like an underground movement. Um, yeah. With the LGBTQ community, but also in the black community. And um, so then you have this like super commercialized, popular, popularized disco movement. It started causing other like giant record labels to manufacture disco sounds. Right. And um, then there was this whole like disco sucks thing that happened. Yep. And they go through this in in this documentary. I mean, it impacted the Bee Gees a lot. A lot of people were so anti-Bee Gees after this. There was a giant burning of records in, uh, actually, what's the uh, Chicago? Yeah. Is that Wrigley? It's not. Uh, Was it at Wrigley Field or was it at? uh, I thought it was in Chicago. It was either Wrigley or Comiskey Park, but yeah, it's definitely in Chicago. I think it was in Wrigley. Yeah. And they like burned the records and then also drove over them with like a. Yeah. Like a paver and stuff and they yeah. were like bring your bg's records bring your disco records but someone working the door was talking about how like you know what i was working the door i wasn't seeing bg's records i was seeing black records wow. and it became just this like thing and anyways it totally ruined the bg's career and they're like we need to stop we can't put out any more disco records they they quit. They all kind of went their separate ways for a long time. I'm telling like the story of the Bee Gees thing, but it's so interesting. <laughs> Anyways, you have to see, you still have to see it, but I just want to say this one part though. Like if they pivoted, they started writing songs for people because that was like what they were so good at. You know, like they wrote that basically like every song for Saturday Night Fever in one session. They wrote a song wow. for Otis Redding, but he died before he got to record it. And they wrote it. It's still amazing. 
Anyways, they wrote so many songs for so many famous people. And that was kind of like their next thing. Hmm. It was a really sad movie, though, at the end. So many music documentaries are sad. Yeah. So sad. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what's yeah. up with that. So huh. many sad stories in music. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, I think there's also the happy stories are boring. So it's like, yeah. let's tell the sad ones. You know, that reminds <laughs> yeah. me of something. Um, I'm, I'm sure we all remember back in the day when VH1 had the, the Behind the Music Behind series. Behind the Music. This is yeah. where my love for music documentary started. <laughs> Absolutely. Me too. I, I watched them all. Whether I, whether I knew the artist or not, I watched them all. And yeah. I remember the one, literally the only one that was happy and there was no conflict and nothing ever happened. And it was Weird Al Yankovic's Behind the Music. <laughs> Why do I love that so much? And like they had to call it out in the documentary. And he's like, I know you wish something would happen, but no, I'm sorry. It's just weird Al. Wow. That's so funny. And he was so happy and everything worked out well for him and everything was great. Period. The end. Wow. That really, I never put it together that that's where my love of music documentary started till just now, but behind the music is like where it all started. Oh, totally. And what's funny to me is um, I actually went back and watched some recently. Like I found some like bootleg ones on the internet. Oh, that Uh, sounds great. Because clearing the the licenses is obviously um, difficult. So I'm sure they aren't on, they're never going to be on any like streaming media. But um, so yeah, yeah. I, f- I found some bootleg ones on the internet. Then I watched a few, and it's fascinating to see how much faster they are now. Like with our like you know modern adult standards of like you know the amount of story you put into something and blah blah blah. Yeah, forty five minutes they tell uh, someone's entire career. And yeah. Often you're just like, hey, slow down, pump the brakes. Impossible. You know? Yeah. It's wild. It's, it's strange. It's strange to see it with um, you know eyes from what thirty years later. No, it can't be that long. Twenty years later, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The average shot length continues to shrink. Oh, it's wild. It's like, it's like three seconds right now. I was yeah. talking to my intro to cinema class about this. It's like terrifying to think that we take up information every three seconds. It's no wonder yeah. people with ADHD struggle with television because right. it's like yeah. so demanding. Uh, before I worked in this record store, my career for like the past 10 years before that was as an, as an animator. And, oh, cool. Um, man, oh man, that aspect, the whole thing of like how much information do you need to keep on the screen for how long for people to actually see it? Cause we're going frame mm-hmm. by frame, you know, like we're yeah. actually considering literally every single frame. Is this enough time? Is this enough time? And a, a lot of the shows I worked on were like adult swim style stuff, like Aqua Teen yeah. Hunger Force, Squidbillies, that kind of thing. And man, oh man, we're in a hurry. We got 11 minutes, you yeah, know, like so short. there's no time for anything. So mm-hmm. shots are just rapid fire and it's going to keep getting faster. Cause like imagine, that when Adult Swim first came out, it was like this wild idea of like, whoa, these shows are only 11 minutes? That's wild. And now, then like fucking Quibi, it's like yeah. <laughs> even less than that. And like, you know, Vine and- Like uh, TikTok. TikTok. I think about TikTok yes. all the time and how I I have tried like navigating TikTok and I maybe I'm just outing myself as being like an old curmudgeon at heart or something. Mm-hmm. But I tried <laughs> to navigate TikTok for like 20 minutes one day and was like, I can't hang. Like yeah. this, it what? moves too fast. It's exhausting. I follow. I uh, I can't do it. I 100 yeah. percent follow. I you. love TikTok. I know. <laughs> I, I hear this from so many people that it's like fantastic and they Once, love it. Yeah, their algorithm is incredibly powerful. Once you start telling it what you like, like once you start liking stuff, it gives you that exact content, and it is awesome. Like <laughs> it even can tell which videos have the best comments to show you. It's weird. It's super weird, but I love it. Also, I just want to say like we, because of ADHD thing, like we're just forming really terrible habits with all of this fast content consumption. Agree. 
Yeah. That's why I'm all about that scene where Rage was talking about her eats a banana. Yeah. <laughs> um, it really you know, just sits like, there in the moment. Yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, I am a big fan of media that uh, demands a different kind of attention or slowness. I think mm. that's part of me making slow music that people say is boring and maybe they're not <laughs> wrong. I think I've made a few boring songs and that's great. I'm happy to do that. But I do agree that like, uh, yeah. Bad, bad mental habits by watching all these shortcuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I say to a cartoon animator, that's so yeah. mean. No, no, no. I, no. I'm, I'm a former animator. Now I work in a record store. So now yeah. it's now, now, now you can make fun of cartoons all you want. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Also, I think your music is very soothing. And I think that banana scene is like a soothing moment. You know, it does yeah. kind of force you to just sit still and, and appreciate it. Um, yeah. And, Oh, I was going to say something else and now I've totally forgotten. Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> uh, was it, was that All your right. number two? That was number two. Oh, last one. Here we go. Here we okay, go. Number one. I do feel like number one and number five, much like yours, Matt, kind of relate in this weird way where the camera is like on the people and they kind of change who they are, but at some point they aren't. And do you know who, what's real and what's not? And I feel like Seth isn't going to be surprised by this one, but my number one is from 1992, 1991, The Year Punk Broke. Ah, yep. Great one. Uh, directed by David Markey. He goes on tour with Sonic Youth and Nirvana and it's, it's like a summer uh, festival or like fest tour, sorry, tour in Europe. Um, but it's supposed to be focused on Sonic Youth, but like I said, Nirvana's on tour with them, Dinosaur Jr. They see by, uh, Babes in Toyland and the Ramones are even in it. It's just like, I don't know. There's all these reenactments from like a Madonna thing that they do. And of course, um, Thurston is going around just constantly talking, which yes. is annoying. Uh, yes. I'm glad um, you said it so I didn't have to. <laughs> Where Kim stands at this record store. Yeah, I, I also stand Kim. Also, can we just talk about how great Lee is? Oh, yeah. Lee is great. Absolutely. He's great. Yeah. 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 But Thurston, <laughs> gosh, I have a I have a really shady Thurston story. Maybe I'll tell it another time. Oh, no, you have to tell it now. Oh, what are you this doing? Is so horrible. I'm gonna oh, okay. Don't so, tease your shady Thurston <laughs> story okay. with us. So I went to graduate school with uh, Kim and Thurston's child. Oh, with Coco, uh, Coco Gordon Moore. Yeah, with Coco. Yeah, uh, I was in graduate school and she was an undergrad, and we graduated at the same ceremony. Mm-hmm. And my wife Lena is a huge Sonic Youth fan, uh, and she also very much stands Kim. <laughs> and I was not there for this. So this is all secondhand. So this is Lynette's Sonic Youth story. That's okay. my wife. But I, I really want to tell it because it's so good. <laughs> uh, this was like very, like very recently after all the news came out about like Kim. Right. And like uh, the divorce. The divorce and like him cheating and like the book and everything. And uh, I'm sure it was like really hard for Coco to be at school with this happening, like with her parents around her. Anyway, so we were at the graduation and uh, I was like backstage getting ready or whatever. And Lynette was texting me and she was like, Oh my God, I can see uh, Kim and Thurston. And I was like, go say, Hey, uh, <laughs> like, you're at a graduation. Nothing's stopping you from saying hi. And uh, she couldn't really get close enough to, but Thurston's mom was with him to like watch her granddaughter graduate, which is like, Oh, how cute. But mm-hmm. then 
she was like, Lynette says that he was walking up the stairs trying to get to the seat and his mom was like 90 and having trouble getting up the stairs. And he was like walking up the stairs and he turned around and he was like, come on, mom, hurry up. We're going to be late. You're <laughs> oh gonna be my late, gosh. Mom. And <laughs> she was like 90 and he was acting like a teenager. And uh, so Lynette was like live texting me everything that was happening. <laughs> and I was like backstage, like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. So then <laughs> my parents and my wife go and sit down and, uh, Thurston and Kim are sitting down somewhere else. And, <laughs> uh, Lynette was like, that's it. I'm doing it. So she gets up and she like bolts over and is there with Kim and is like, leans over to Kim and says like, thank you so much for everything that you've done for women and for women in music, especially. It's so amazing. And she was like, oh, it's nothing. Like, don't worry about it. And then Thurston like leaned in uh, expecting expecting something from her. And my wife just like turned around and walked away. She like called children Thurston. It's wow. So, so icy and so badass. Uh, so, but I have to share that story. I, I am- love thinking that's about amazing. on the stairs being like, come on, mom, we're going to be late. Like, that's such a Thurston Moore thing to do to become like a 13 year old child with his mom that's, at his daughter's graduation. That's how he is during this entire movie, the, the whole, year punk broke. <laughs> yep, absolutely. That's and the then you thing. have this like maternal moments with Kim Gordon and Kurt Cobain. Yep. That's yeah. like very much Ugh. that. I love Ugh. that story. Thank you so much for sharing it. Yeah, I'm sorry if I uh, stepped on your, your no. talk about your pick because yeah, Heck I had no. to share it though. <laughs> like it totally relates to it exactly, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Man, it sounds like I should be best friends with your wife. Like, I'm also obsessed with Sonic Youth. <laughs> yep. Seth is too. We both have Sonic Youth tattoos. We're obsessed. Oh, dang. Yep. Huge mm-hmm. Sonic Youth fan. So this is why. Um, and this is the only one I actually own. I own this on DVD. So nice. yep. I yep. love it. I love one. Sonic Youth. Um, and also just obsessed with like 90s alternative rock. So. It's also, it's such a like a uh, halcyon, like remember giant arenas where you could fill an arena and they could play Sonic Youth music. Like, yeah, uh, it's so weird that that was a thing. Oh, and- yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, because of that, like they talk about, you know, I'd, probably you could relate it to that Western uh, civilization movie. Like they're talking about how like actually Geffen is maybe popularizing punk in such a way that is harmful to the punk aesthetic or right. something. Yeah. And, the, and also this whole like anti-corporate thing is kind of what Sonic Youth is about. And yet they are filling up these giant stadiums and whatnot. Absolutely. Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. <laughs> well, that's something I saw later with the director, which was, um, this might've even been like in like the DVD booklet or something where I read this, where he was saying, he's like, the name of the documentary was ironic. Like it was not supposed to be the quote unquote year that punk broke. That's a joke. That's a dumb thing to say. Like punk's never going to break into the mainstream. And then when it actually <sighs> did, when Nirvana literally broke punk into yeah. the mainstream and created this brand new thing called grunge, that that was wild. They were like, "How did our joke title turn into a fact?" Like that's yeah, they, that's they wild. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. that's a good one. I'm, that makes me really want to rewatch that one too. Yeah. And plus, yeah. there's just so much great concert footage in that one. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. like full songs being performed in it. I love it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Great stuff. Good pick. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, well, let's go through times. some like shortlist stuff. Yeah. Uh, Tara, you're already talking. Hit, hit us with sure. your shortlist. Yeah. Tina, the Tina Turner story is uh. really great. I love it. And I just love how like she kept trying to break away from that like story, you know. Um, she was just trying to be herself um, and just be Tina Turner. And also hearing that she really didn't like the song What's Love Got to Do With It and then just made it a hit, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't know. It's so great. Um, Linda, the Linda Ronstadt documentary, which Tara, I actually- you have deep cuts. What? I don't you think they're deep, deep cuts at all. That's cool. I guess when oh. I think about music documentaries and maybe it's just because I'm like a nerdy white boy who likes like, you know, in alternative indie music, but I think about like all the cliche ones. These are cool deep oh, cuts. Oh, they're so good. I want to watch all of these. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I actually learned more about, I never knew about Rye Cooter until I watched Linda oh. Ronstadt. She says he's like one of the greatest guitar players of our time. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay, let me go listen to Rye Cooter. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the Coda documentary and Amy, the the Amy, uh, what's her face? Oh, God. Winehouse? It's Thank you. Amy Winehouse documentary was so sad. That one's really tragic. Yeah. Flawed. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say Thurston is the flawed one at the punk broke. And then last one I'll say is Supersonic. The Oasis documentary is hilarious. Never seen that one. It's so cool. Is there a lot of fighting? A lot of of, uh, uh, brother, brother, brother fights. Yeah. And Mm. the mom talks in it. You know, she has her accent. She's just talking about like all of the stuff they do. And it's just really interesting, honestly. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Matt, how about you? Uh, You said you had uh, at least one or two. Okay. So there's... This is like a weird sort of like quasi academic uh, mm-hmm. pick, but uh, the films of Les Blank, I can't really pick one, but I don't know if either of you are familiar with Les Blank. He's no. this like documentary filmmaker and he made all of these films about like subcultures in the South with like Southern music and porch music. Uh, he oh. was friends with Werner Herzog, uh, Les Blank. I can't pick a single film, but they're all fantastic. And they're all, there's like one about people who do. Uh, like step dancing or like uh, flat foot. Yeah. Flat foot dancing and buck foot. And then there's one about like Zydeco music. Uh, And he has like a really cool style. And it's like, I think it might be all 16 millimeter, uh, less blank films. All of them are great. Uh, That's one of my picks. Uh, And then another one is uh, any of the films that, Ken Burns has made about music. I'm absolutely like super obsessed with Ken Burns documentaries. We were actually talking about that before you walked in today. So you've you've seen both the jazz and the country one? Yeah, I've seen both the jazz and the country and like baseball and the Dust Bowl. I'm obsessed with Ken Burns, (laughs) period. Uh, But those Ken Burns music documentaries are fantastic. Nice. I'm I'm, going to buy them. (laughs) Yeah. Just a quick note. I was just Googling on my phone the Les Blank thing. Apparently, he Les Blank did a documentary on Ry Cooter. Oh, oh there you go. Connection. Hey, perfect. I got to watch it now. Yeah. Uh, and then also, this is one that I feel like is maybe a little basic, but I feel like everyone should watch this one. Uh, I'm Trying to Break Your Heart, the Wilco yes. documentary. Yes. Uh, it's like... It was so close to being on my list, but I was like, someone else is going to pick it. So I don't have to do it. Right. Uh, But no one picked it. So I have to say it's like so beautiful. The cinematography is amazing. Mm -hmm. I love watching bands make records. And also this is one of those cases, a lot like uh, maybe people is easy where where they just like self-destruct. Yeah. Yeah. It captures Uh, a very specific moment in in that band's career. And actually 
I, I, I never thought about this, but you're right. It's very similar to meeting people is easy. Like, like yeah. it, it's yeah. that same moment where Wilco turned into a different kind of band, literally in their lineup and in like the eyes of like the critics and all that stuff too. So yeah, it's and there's something. like. Uh, really bizarre uh, cameos, like that Fred Armisen cameo yes. is really bizarre and cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there's this like really weird, my favorite sequence in that one is where he and uh, what's Jay Bennett are in like that argument about like the cut at the end of Heavy Metal Drummer or whatever. Yes. Uh, and anyone who's ever recorded music with friends right. that you've like been friends with for a long time and you're working on music together, uh, you're going to have that moment when you're collaborating with friends. Hopefully it's not to that level, but like <laughs> right. to see that captured on film was sort of like, oh, like it's not just me and my jerk friends who go through these moments where it's like, you're fading it too fast on the outro or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> when you're yeah. like mixing music with friends. Uh, that was one of those movements where it's sort of like the, a moment that reified making music with friends was like, oh, it happens even to Wilco when they're working at CBS studios in Chicago or whatever. Right. Uh, and like, we live in the same neighborhood. So I've watched it again since moving to like where Wilco hangs out and where the loft is and stuff. And it's really magical to like realize how close I am to, uh, yeah, the Tweeties and the whole family. <laughs> Great film. It is. <laughs> wait, yeah. yeah. Wait till you hear my employee recommendation. Oh, nice. Oh. It's not that, it's not that, but yeah. wait. Well, 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 my short list, I also have, uh, I am trying to, to, break your hearts and it's got so many great moments one of my favorites so jay bennett is kind of the villain of the film you know villain (laughs) and and there's this one part that i absolutely love it's um i mean there's no spoiler alert jay obviously wasn't in wilco for the entire second half of wilco's existence so yes this is this movie captures jay leaving wilco and there's this part where he's complaining and he's like Oh, well, you know, Jeff was saying how basically every circle needs a center. And of course, Jeff's the center. And it's like, of course, Jeff's the center. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? You think you're the center, Jay Bennett? Like, yeah. you're, you're, not, you're not Jeff Tweedy, buddy. Like, yeah, that it's so tragic. And it he is. is. He's so self-sabotaging. And yeah. it's so sad to see how self-sabotaging he is at that that stage in Wilco's career. Mm-hmm. I also am so obsessed with all the Glenn Couchy sequences. Oh like, my gosh. I love his solo albums. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah. It's so good. And uh, to see him sort of like come into the band and all of a sudden Wilco is just like not a rock band. It's like Wilco is like, whoa, it was Glenn. It was Glenn all along. <laughs> totally. Yeah. They, they, they needed and then, Glenn yeah. and Glenn served them right. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's also, it's right before Nels Klein joins the band too. Like we don't, I don't think we get any Nels Klein on that mm. uh, in that documentary, yeah. but Nels Klein is unbelievable. And so it's cool that that happened. And then that sort of, was fodder for Wilco fans to say like, get into Wilco. I'm trying to break your heart. And then they brought Nels Klein in and made Ghost is Born. And it was like, whoa. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. No. A big, big Wilco fan here. Yeah. It's, it's an excellent one. And uh, so, yeah. yeah, so that one's on my list. Uh, Strange Powers, the Magnetic Fields documentary. Oh, that's good too. Love that mm. one. I, I remember I, I was living in Los Angeles when that premiered and I, I took my wife, like, we have to go to the premiere because Stephen uh, Stephen Merritt is going to do a Q&A at the premiere. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And I was so excited for this. And like, I had so many questions for Stephen Merritt. Like other people like in the audience were like, who's this guy? I'm like, that's Stephen Merritt. I'm so excited. And my favorite thing I asked him, gosh, he had, no, he had so many quips. I could recant every single, or recant, reaccount, re- Tell. Great. I yeah. think both work actually. Yeah. Yeah. But, all, but, all great options. <laughs> I, I, but but I, I could just literally give you a transcript of everything Stephen Merritt said. And he's such a beloved curmudgeon. Like he's so lovable, you know? Yeah. And 
I'll, I'll tell you one of the many hilarious things he told me. Um, uh, is her name Claudia, the, the main woman who, who's like his partner in magnetic fields? I want to say her name. That sounds, Claudia. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh, I, know, sure. I hope I'm not getting her name wrong because she's wonderful. Yeah. But um, in the documentary, she's featured a lot. And then um, someone asked afterwards, oh, so, so where's uh, Claudia these days? And he's like, I don't know. Breastfeeding. <laughs> <laughs> What? Like, what a strange way to tell us that Claudia had a baby. <laughs> like, like, there's so many ways you could have delivered that information, but you had to say it that way. It's so spiky and just like, oh, it's great. Yeah, he's he's a wonderful, wonderful human being. I love the magnetic fields. Um, I'll, I'll whip through some others real quick. Let's see here. Uh, the year punk broke was on my list, uh, my short list. A uh, fearless freaks that Flaming Lips documentary is really that's really pretty good. good. Yeah. Um, the other two decline of Western civilization documentaries, like I said, all three are great. Uh, Beats, rhymes, and life: the travels of a tribe called Quest. That one's really choice. Ah. And a uh, slow century. It's a documentary about pavement, and it's uh, really really Ooh. good. Yeah. I, can I throw in Silver Jew, which Ooh, is a documentary <gasps> about uh, yes. when Berman went to Israel and like. That is like spiritual encounter. That is a beautiful film. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we can yeah. go all day, man. We we we've really yeah yeah. But like, how can I can't think about pavement at the same time and not think about Silver Jews? Yeah. So it's yeah. like a they're like the same band to me in a lot of ways. Yeah. Totally. Have to talk about Silver Jews. It's great. Yeah. Wonderful. I stuff. also i I forgot um, Muscle Shoals is like must see. Ooh, Such a good a one. Good one. Uh, also, the Wrecking Crew. Has anyone seen yeah, the Wrecking Crew? Yeah, that that's a great. really great documentary. Mm-hmm. The, so, the Wrecking Crew Terra is like this group of musicians that were studio musicians that played. Oh, on like, yeah, I've heard about this. That's yeah, right. Like Sorry, every, keep going though. Tell it's like tell. every American hit ever was recorded by the Wrecking Crew, and yeah. like no one knew it. And then this documentary was sort of like a truth bomb. Like every Beach Boy song is recorded by the Wrecking Crew or whatever, and like right. all these classic hits. And really, it's all about this that bass player whose name I can't remember off the top of my head, but she's like, Oh yeah. The lady, the lady who's like, uh, she is the reason why American rock music sounds how it sounds. She like single-handedly added that touch. That's like a part of all of these classic records. Uh, Carol Kay. Carol Kay. That's the one. I actually watched a video of her recently who was like, she was talking about, playing along to a metronome and she's like you're not a good bass player unless the met- the metronome swings and then it cuts to her playing with a metronome and it sounds like a full song and it's just oh, like wow. a metronome and her playing bass but the wrecking crew documentary is awesome wow so cool yeah i need yeah. to see that one for sure Oof. Well, well, we our, our store was supposed to have closed like a half hour ago, so we got to wrap things up. But last thing we got to do before we go is to restock the employee recommendation shelf. Tara, what are you putting up today? I just finished this weekend uh, the Jeff Tweedy book, uh, Let's Go So We Can Get Back, which is why I was oh. like, oh, I love that you're mentioning that because I just finished the book and I honestly ha- hadn't even really listened to any of the Wilco albums except for the one with heavy metal drummer on it. Mm-hmm. But I had heard that this uh, this book was really good. So I, I listened to it, the audio audiobook. Uh, I can do things while I listen, you know. Yeah, Anyways, yeah. Uh, it's just so good. And, you know, it talks about just a lot of the great things he he's experienced and like finally accepted as wins, but also just like a lot of really terrible, rough things that he's been through. And yep. man, poor guy. But And then I honestly was almost more interested in hearing about his amazingly talented children. Yeah, right. The, yeah. The kids are, the kids are stars. They like run the Chicago scene. Yeah. Yeah. Shout it's out to crazy. the Tweeties. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. They're like at the hideout every night playing shows like before COVID they were there all the time. And yeah, it's awesome. That's killer. Such um, a great book. Matt, Highly what recommend. is your favorite Wilco album off the top of your head? Uh, I mean, I know like it's hard. Yankee, Yankee hotel Foxtrot is one of the, like one of the many reasons why I wanted to move to Chicago at some point in my life, just because nice. it's such as it's the Chicago sound in that era. Yeah. Uh, that one and ghost is born are the ones that I listen to the most. I love the old ones that are a little more countryer. Mm-hmm. I kind of fell off honestly when mm-hmm. they like, uh, in their more recent stuff, uh, but those two are sort of tied for me. Yankee Hotel, Foxtrot, and Ghost is Born. Those, those are killer. Uh, I, yeah. I actually really love the favorite? one right after that too, Sky Blue Sky. Sky, Sky Blue, Blue Sky. Wonderful. Um, yeah. yeah. I talk about Big Ears Fest a lot, but one year Nels Klein played um, uh, the drummer... I've already forget his name. You Glenn just said it. Kochi. Glenn Kochi played yeah. and he did the thing where he had, he had like sand on the drums uh, and he was like playing all this crazy stuff. And then so Jeff good. Tweedy even was playing like a solo noise set. Um, it was really great. It was awesome to That's see cool. them all in such different lights. But mm. then of course they had the one bil- big uh, Wilco set as well. But awesome. uh, yeah, Big yeah. Ears is my favorite. I have so many anecdotes about like everything we're talking about tonight that I want to keep going. <laughs> there was this amazing arcade fire set. It was like an after party where each member of the arcade fire played as their alter ego. So like Whoa. Owen Pallet was playing his solo stuff. Um, Wynn Butler was playing as DJ Windows 98, which is, I believe is a DJ name. Um, <laughs> like, like everyone had an alter ego that they were playing as. And so they didn't play any arcade fire songs everyone played but as a completely separate entity and as, that's pretty cool it was really neat um yeah. anyway we we got to cool. close up the shop um <laughs> my pick is the brand new angel olsen box set it's called uh song of the lark and other memories it was fun for a while there was no It's wonderful. She basically tricked me into buying this album three <laughs> times and I yeah. love it. Like it, it was, it, it's such an innovative way to make someone really focus on your songs because, um, so all mirrors came out in 2019 and I was like, Oh, great new album. Fantastic. It, and, and like in my head at that point it was like, it's a little slow. I like her upbeat stuff. I like shut up, kiss me. I like, um, you know, um, high five. Well, I, you I know. like the slow stuff. I, I like the slow stuff. So here's the thing. She got me because obviously All Mirrors, her 2019 album, is all slow stuff. Big, yeah. lush, torch song, slow stuff. I believe it was a breakup album for her. Mm. And um, and so then a year later, she put out Whole New Mess in 2020, which is basically the same album, but she just recorded it differently. She recorded yeah. it in like a stripped down, like in like a church in like North Carolina or something and like was like, all right. This is this is the same album, but different. And so I bought it because I love Angel Olsen. And I listened to it. I'm like, oh yeah, these are those same songs. Like it forced me to listen deeper to an album that I thought I only liked, you know? And so by the time I was done with a whole new mess, I was like, you know what? I, I really do like All Mirrors. All Mirrors is really good because I saw it through this slightly different prism. And then she just recently, like a month ago or so, put out... Um, Song of the Lark and Other Memories, which is a three-disc set. Uh, Disc one is All Mirrors. Disc two is Whole New Mask. And the third disc, I guess, is just a bonus disc. I don't know. But it's got remixes and bonuses and all kinds of B-sides and all weird stuff. And my favorite, it's got that uh, Roxy music song, um, More Than This. She she covers More Than This by Roxy music. Nice. Choice. And uh, anyways, so, so like, 
I love that in this world where it's very difficult to get people to really sit down and listen to your music fully and really appreciate how much you put into it and how great it is, she rolled out this one album basically three times in three years and tricked my dummy face <laughs> into buying it all three times. And I, I, and I, I'm in, she tricked me. She, she tricked me good. And it's to my benefit because an album that I thought was, yeah, pretty good. I now absolutely love because I've listened to it in many different permutations in many different ways, you know? So Angel Olsen, all the money, yeah. give it to her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I know you're supposed to be closed, but I have three picks in there. I'll go pretty fast. Please throw, uh, throw them all up on the employee yeah. recommendation shelf. We love it. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> so the first one is uh, by my friend, Claire Rousey, and she just put out an album called A Softer Focus. And it's a collaboration with the artist Danny Terrell. And Claire uh, is a percussionist sort of first, but then has started to do these ambient compositions. And a softer focus is this like mess of really light, airy, beautiful field recordings and like piano pieces and all this kind of stuff. And then uh, she's just really great with dynamics. It's some of the most beautiful, enveloping, lush, sparse, ambient music that I've heard in a really long time. And it's a profound album. Listen to Claire's music. Everyone should buy every copy of Claire's record that just came out. A Softer Focus is what it's called. Uh, I know it's early, but it's one of my favorite albums of the year for sure. Uh, So there's that one. Uh, And then I have uh, two sort of like, uh, well, here's another one that's more recent. It's called Philadelphia and it's by Shabison, Kurgovich and Harris. The track by the If you just search Philadelphia, you'll find it and dig through. I don't know if you're, you got to maybe order a copy or something. Uh, but uh, Joseph Shabison is sort of like a, I'm really fascinated by this like niche of people who are using like saxophone or like jazzy sort of implements and then doing them in sort of like ambient, almost like proto new age kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so Shabison, Kurgovich and Harris is like, BGM Japanese background music, but then uh, Nicholas Kurgovich, who's like an amazing singer. He was in that band, No Kids. He tours with Phil Elverham all the time. Uh, sings these like Koan, like new age meditation poems about like sweeping his house and like walking past plants and like talking about like a guy vaping and there's like grape uh, scented smoke coming out of his mouth and stuff uh, over this like Japanese background music thing. Uh, and we listen to it all the time at my house. Uh, Philadelphia by Shabison, Kurgovich and Harris. Sounds so cool. Good. Can I just, oh, oh, I was go going to say, I love that, that whole like saxophone ambient vibe too. I really like the Pino Palladino, Blake Mills notes yeah. and attachments one. Mm. So good. Also really good. Uh, as I long as we're throwing out ambient saxophone music, <laughs> I love me it. some Colin Stetson. Man, oh, oh man. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, what's that one he did with like Sarah Neufeld? That one was really great. Anyway, anyway. I mean, anything he does is going to be wild. Yeah. 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 I also am like absolutely a part of that movement with the Fubitsushi gang and all of those guys. And uh, everyone should listen to anything that Lake Mary makes. 
uh, or Patrick Shiro Ishii. And then uh, Chris doesn't really have solo material, but Chris is on all the M-Stage music. So just listen to my music. <laughs> that was horrible. Here's the last thing. Uh, so uh, Lynette is pregnant and we're having a baby in like a month, which is really exciting. Yeah. Hey, and so we're, we're sort of like, hey, thank you. We're sort of like going through music and thinking about music that we want to be in our kid's life. Uh, and you can start playing for the kid while the kid's in utero. And so uh, she was like, I'm looking for music that I like to hum. And she's been listening to a bunch of Joanna Newsom, which yeah. I haven't listened to in like so long. And the moment I slept, I was swept up in a terrible tremor. Though no longer bereft, how I shook and I couldn't remember. And uh, I actually was like, that's it. I can't get those on vinyl anymore, but I had to order some CDs for our car. So I've we've been driving around and like Joanna Newsom has been on repeat in our lives lately. Yay. And it is so fantastic and so amazing. And uh, what an outrageous musician, first of all. But then her lyrics are just like unbelievable oh, yeah. poetry. <laughs> yes. And so uh, I've been listening to Ease a lot. Oof. So that's the one. Uh, yeah. Those are my big three. Yeah, De- definitely. No, I, I I really appreciate you popping those up there. Yeah. I, I apologize uh, to everyone for keeping the store open so late, but maybe also you're welcome. So either way, yeah. <laughs> uh, the last yeah. thing I'll say to everyone else in the store is uh, go pick up some M Sage music. Like um, uh, in particular, I'm going to plug your your two most recent, but your whole catalog is great. The uh, the wind of things and catch a blessing both. Fantastic! Uh, you can get them from Geographic North, but yeah, your your whole catalog. You got a you have an epic Bandcamp page. If anyone goes yeah. find your M Sage Bandcamp page, they'll find a lot of great stuff, like enough that will keep them busy for like a month. You know? Yeah, I've been doing this a long time. I'm trying to not put as much stuff out lately. <laughs> it's backfiring though. Uh, I'm gonna hype it one more time too. I've been playing with these uh, in a, this uh, quartet, Fubat Sushi, with uh, Chaz Premek, uh, Chris Giselle, and Patrick Shira Ishi, and I'm having the most fun I've had making music with people in my life. So go look for those uh, CDs. They're floating around. Fubutsushi. Yeah. Can you you spell that real quick? Yeah. (laughs) F-U-U-B-U-T-S-U-S-H-I. Fubutsushi. Fantastic. Uh, It means it's like a nostalgia for a season that you're not in. So like when it's like, you know, summer Mm -hmm. and then like you like smell something and it starts to, it's the first night Mm -hmm. where you're like, it kind of smells like fall. That's what fubutsushi is. It's like a Japanese word that doesn't really have an easy English translation. Man, they have Uh, so many words like that. They even have a word for buying books that you won't read. (laughs) It's like sudonken or something like that. You like stack books on your nightstand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Every one of our album titles is one of those words, actually. Oh, Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So like uh, setsuban is the new year, but it's also this idea of like out with the old and with the new. Like you have a setsuban where you like yell, yell your demons away. The spring one just came out last week, actually, or Friday. It came out on Friday. Uh, And it's called Yamawaru. And it's a Japanese term for when a mountain is laughing because it's covered in flowers, which is like the most <laughs> beautiful word ever. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like uh, spring is this moment of rebirth. And so like this mountain uh, is like being tickled by the flowers growing out of it. And it's like laughing. And that's what we wanted the spring album to sound like. So That's so cool. Wonderful. Yeah. And, and we're in the middle of working on the summer record and we're trying to get it done before I have 
we have a kid. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> right. It'll probably be out in August. Let's Killer. Killer. Yep. Well, well hey, uh, thank you very much, uh, Matt, a.k.a. M. Sage, for uh, coming in here. We really appreciate it. Uh, come back anytime you like. Although you've, you're yeah. going gonna to have a kid, so that's going to, I'm sure, take up a lot of your time for a while. I'm just going to go hang out in the Raffi section. You guys got good Raffi records? We got great <laughs> Raffi records. I mean, awesome. ba- baby yeah. beluga all day, every day. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. <laughs> but, uh, but, but thank you for coming in today, and thank you to everyone else who came in today. You're all the greatest, but the store is officially closed. Happy trails, everyone. Until we meet again. Record Store Society is hosted by Tara Davies and Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to recordstoresociety at iheartmedia.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society. Record Store Society is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Business as usual is a thing of the past, but the entrepreneurial spirit keeps us closing in on our dream. That's why U.S. Bank makes sure solutions are a conversation away, so we can help you adapt and evolve your business, no matter what comes up. Because even in uncertainty, you can be certain we have your back. U.S. Bank, we'll get there together. Equal housing lender, member FDIC.